Welcome back to the Ride Balance Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Ride Clean. Ride Clean is the easy, simple solution to cleaning your motorcycle and car. Simply shake, spray, and wipe, and get that mirror-like finish, UV protection, and so much more. Check them out at rideclean.co. Use promo code RBPODCAST for 25% off, plus two-ounce bottle for free, plus free shipping. You can't beat that. That's rideclean.co. Super excited episode. Uh, before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to the Ventura Police Department for accommodating. Um, I want to give a shout out to community outreach specialist Emily Graves just for responding to me via Facebook, uh, jumping on the emails and putting this whole thing together. So big shout out to Emily Graves. Thank you so much for your services. And then uh, my next guest, he's a badass. You've seen him in Writer Magazine. He's a detective with the Ventura Police Department, supervises special victims unit, formal motor officer, and still involved in the motor training and is an instructor, my good friend, Detective Quinn Rediger. What I like about having the headphones on and having a conversation like this, you're so focused. It's it's a great way of having a conversation. Yeah, I noticed. Uh, I ended up listening to uh, one or two of your podcasts, and man, uh, the audio just puts you right there. I'm like, wow, this guy's like sitting right in front of me, and I'm listening to it. You know, pretty yeah. cool. So that, that's how it sounds now. We're actually not this close physically, but it sounds like sounds like you're really right here. And FYI, we're we're definitely six feet away yeah i'm gonna based on my training and estimation we're about seven and a half i think seven, we're seven and a half yeah yeah, we're, yeah good. We're, we're good we're good um officer quinn uh your title how, how, how do Ooh, i title uh well i mean technically right now i'm in detectives uh for a special victims unit so i'm uh, a um, detective redeker um quinn redeker is my name uh so quinn that's just who i am i work as a police officer uh, as a detective right now. <clears throat> so Quinn's good. Quinn's good. Yeah, okay, yeah. Perfect. That's yeah. easy to remember. I got a lot of questions on the detective side, but uh, you, you weren't always a detective. You started off as a... As a well, well uh, how, did, how, how did your career start as an officer? So the funny thing about that is a lot of times you'll bump into somebody on the street and they'll say, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, in, uh, I want to be a canine officer. How do I do that? And everything starts with being a patrol cop. There's no agency that doesn't start that way. They don't just say, hey, you know what? You want to just be a sniper on the SWAT team? Come on. Come on down, Ron. We're going to hook you up. You know, that, that's a bearcat. We're going to get you up in the turret. Just look through the sights there. Find yeah. a bad guy. It's uh, not that easy. It's just not that easy. Uh, so you, everything starts from patrol. Um, you really learn the lay of the land. We're at a, we're at a smaller municipality here in Ventura, 120,000, 130,000 and the thing with a with an agency like this is um, you end up doing a little bit of everything. Uh, much larger agencies, kind of like um, you know a Ford Motor Company, you specialize with the assembly line process. So you might be out on the beat, but you don't handle traffic calls or you don't handle uh, certain exigent stuff. Um, uh, here, because we're a little smaller, you tend to do everything. You know, you'll um, you know you'll do some of the uh, CSI type stuff as a patrol cop. You do a lot of follow-up things. Um, but when it gets into other specialties like canine or SWAT or motors or detectives, those are things generally you need to be an officer for a period of time to kind of know the lay of the land and understand it and build relationships 
uh, and be able to speak intelligently enough on those subjects to be able to test well enough to get a to get a spot. So, so, I, so each each thing you want to do has different levels, different testing, different. Exactly. So, uh, you know, the person that might, I mean, ultimately, regardless of what your what your candidate uh, is or who they are, you hope that they not only want to do it and have that affinity for it, but that they actually have the talent for it too. You know, you obviously you're, you're, so when you're looking at that person, what they say and, um, you know, what they know about it. Um, but also you take a look at some of their patrol performance, their report writing, for example, if you're going to go into detectives, um, what's your follow-up stuff like, what's your interview skills like, what's your, you know, what, what types of kind of larger cases or things where you've interacted with detectives and benefited them on an investigation. Yeah. So those kinds of things are meaningful. If you're going to be a motor cop, for example, your skill sets, um, might be a little bit different. Um, but so, uh, to go back, you start as patrol. I started a patrol cop, um, and a couple years in, uh, the, the really just to, just to, um, I didn't have any expectation of being a motor cop, um, but um, I became a police officer specifically at this department. Um, a short story with that is I came from a, a cosmetic manufacturing background. I came into this a little later uh, and uh, decided, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be a police officer. And I kind of went to a few different local agencies and just went on the street and watched and looked and listened and, <clears throat> and kind of. You know, what do I do? I do I want to be associated with these guys or those guys or or, or any of it at all? Because right. I really didn't need to do it. It wasn't one of those things when I was six. I said I'm going to be a police officer when I, I grow up. I, yeah. you know, you, you focused on it. Yeah, and my family's not in law enforcement. I think my dad did a little stint as a uh, as a reserve cop down in Santa Monica back in the '50s, '60s. Yeah, uh, but but no family or friends that were in law enforcement. So, but you, but we were talking about it, and I read that article that your dad. It, it kind of popped up after your dad did a, a screenwriting. Yeah, so my dad, uh, he's an actor and a screenwriter, and uh, he was he was writing a screenplay about a human screenplay. about human trafficking, and he and I were working together. Uh, he, my dad, would come up with some crazy, crazy ideas, um, and that's really his he, his his mindset when it comes to uh, writing is take me somewhere I've never been and show me something I've never seen. And if you can do mm. that, then you have something. You have that magical thing, and we'll build something around that. Yeah. So in this case, uh, human trafficking was the backdrop for his story, and so I was helping him with kind of the linear components to it to make sure that it made sense and it was believable and that suspension of disbelief when you watch or read you know, made sense. Um, and so it essentially led me to doing some, um, some info gathering about human trafficking organizations um, the plight of the victims, what that what that path looks like um, to get them some sort of um, you know salvation or help or uh, and uh, ultimately in the United States you're kind of a letter writer. Uh, there are other organizations that you can get involved in overseas to actually get kind of get your hands dirty, so to speak. Yeah. But out here you can do that through law enforcement, and there were grants, and I was reading about some larger agencies that had grants for human trafficking, and I thought, hey. You know, I was selling lipstick for all intents and purposes. Um, that's not real meaningful. <clears throat> and I used yeah. to call my mom from airports around you the world. You must have made a killing, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I used to call my mom from airports around the world and I, and, and while I was waiting to get on a plane. And I, and I would tell her, and she'd say, hey, honey, how you doing? And I'd say, Mom, I failed. I failed miserably in my life. 
She's like, no, you like, you do great. You know, I got an ocean view house and a cool classic old car and things are great. But actually I was miserable and I felt like, like an entire failure. And the real reason was I, I just, what have I impacted really? You know, making money is great, you know, but once you get past eating, you know, having a roof over your head and being able to take care of yourself, the only difference is the emblem on the hood of your car. You're not really affecting anything for yourself or, or, or the, the surrounding so it led me down that, that human trafficking thing. I started looking at law enforcement. And ultimately, I was at the time living in the city of Ventura, and I, I walked around, and I saw some of these police officers, and I thought, man, they look good. They sound good. They're not – they just don't seem amped up. They don't seem uh, – they just seemed a little more – you know, pardon for all law enforcement officers out there. Uh, I really didn't know uh, what I didn't know. But they just seemed a lot smarter and calmer and more um, put together than I really kind of gave police credit for at the time. Yeah, maybe also they had more of a, um, they had more of a direction in life, they, they had purpose. Yeah. It, it kind of looked like that. They looked like they were satisfied or contempt kind of thing. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, just, they just looked together. And I thought, man, this, this looked like a, a, a good group of people I would want to be, um, you know, in, in the family with. So I put in, I got, I got the job. I was a little older as a cop. Um, you know, most people can start around 20, 21. Yeah. I was 34, 35. So uh, definitely later in life. What, what, what would you say is the average age? <clears throat> uh, I'm just mean, an estimate. Probably mid, mid-20s, mid-later 20s. Mid, okay. And I think, uh, and you know, I don't have any stats to back this up, but I think law enforcement today, you know, if you, if you look back to say like, uh, it's pretty crazy, um, some specialty assignments, say with the FBI, there'd be size and height requirements. Like you had to be like the shortest you could be is six two to even get in with these wow. guys. Like back in the Tommy Gun days, yeah, yeah, yeah. suits these guys, wise guy, huh? tough, tough. <laughs> you know these guys, but but now you you, uh, I joke that to be a cop these days, you need to be a victim advocate. You need to be an attorney. You need to be a social worker to a degree. Uh, you need to be a you know a football player. But, you know, a psychiatrist, you, you kind of need to, you can't just be a, a guy with big biceps that's going to throw your weight around. It just doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. I, I don't know if it ever did, but it, it definitely doesn't now. Um, so, uh, so anyways, I, I became a cop. Um, and um, over a couple of years, <clears throat> you know, you, you want to learn how to be a police officer. Ultimately, you just got to get out there and, and kind of, you know, there's a field training program. But once you're out on your own, backing up your officers, uh, paying attention to what's going on in your city. And one of the things that I paid attention to a lot was the motors would do all these traffic stops. What I didn't know sort of from a, um, how would I put this, sort of uh, just the, the general consensus was motors kind of did their own thing, patrol cops kind of did their own thing. But and they kind of don't, and this was going to be a question later I was going to ask you, but they kind of don't know what each other go through, right? Well, they, you know, th- practically they know exactly what's going on, and I was going to, talk to you a little bit about getting a radio ear that's a big part of being a new cop is you have to you get a radio ear and what that means is when you're when you're new if if right now i took you around the city in a police car you wouldn't understand you wouldn't hear the radio you would talk over it 
um, which would feel totally normal and natural. But once you become a cop and you start rolling around in a police car, you hear that thing squawk and you shut your mouth and it's just an automatic and you listen. But more than listening to what the radio is saying, whether it's a dispatcher or an officer, is you listen to the information and immediately you get a snapshot of what's going on, where it's going on, who's involved in it. Mm. And you carry that with you so that now you hear that, you know, we use, we use 10 codes. So 1055 means um, officer needs backup. Not emergency, but they need backup. So uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm doing something else. I'm just rolling around and I hear, you know, they call out, hey, 1055. I'll know the voice. I'll know who it is. I'll know what they're doing, where they are. And that's getting a good radio ear. And a good patrol team intimately knows what everybody's doing. That being said, traffic officers often during the daytime hours are out there writing tickets. So you don't tend to generally listen to uh, I'm doing traffic here, traffic there. I mean, you do, you know, but they're kind of running their own program, doing their yeah. own thing. Um, but as a new cop, I just backed everybody up <clears throat> and I backed the motors up to yeah. the point where, you know, someone would be like, Hey bro, uh, thanks for backing me, but I, I'm good. Like w I know how to do this. I'm writing tickets like go, you do you all do me. Um, but I would back up the, <clears throat> the, uh, traffic sergeant at the time kind of regularly. And, we get to talking and somehow word got out that I had ridden and raced motorcycles a lot as a kid. And, um, he, uh, and I backed him and he, I, he wrote a citation or whatever. And, and he came back and, you know, I was still one of those new guys. Uh, and he, the uh, FNG. yeah, I was the FNG and, and he just goes, Hey, uh, Hey Redeker, I heard you ride bikes. And I go, yeah, yeah, I, I ride. And he said, you should put in for motors. And up to that point, I, the last thing I had connected was law enforcement and my, my interest and passion for motorcycles. I just, it didn't dawn on me at all. I, I don't know why it, it didn't, but it planted so strange, a seed. Yeah, yeah it was, how that, those things happen. It just seemed, um, I don't know, motor, you know, riding tickets on a motorcycle seemed like a very different idea than, you know, racing desert or motocross or, you know, going doing the track days on my street bike, a whole different world. Yeah. Uh, but once he said that, I thought, Hey, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. And, um, that could be pretty cool. So that's really what got me into that specialty assignment. But so to, that's the extremely long version of how do you get into time, a, a specialty assignment? And it's that be a patrol cop, learn that, understand it. Once you figured that out, you know, you kind of know the lay of land, look around. What do you want to do? You know, do you want to be a canine? Do you want to be a motor? Do you want to be a detective? Um, and so, um, I put in for motors and, uh, one of the things with that was, um, being a motor cop's it's, it's challenging on a lot of fronts and we'll, we'll talk about that. But as far as putting in to become one, to get selected to then go to motor school and all that stuff, that's more or less, um, you know, you need to talk to motors, make sure that, uh, you know, you understand what they do, how they do it, learn a little bit about traffic citations, how traffic court works, um, how DUIs are, you know, it's just kind of understand their ebb and flow so that when you sit down for an oral panel, to be a motor yeah. it doesn't look like you just got bored and wanted to get out of the rain so you sat in to interview um so i talked to all the motors and 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 at that time i had happened to have a, a we use bmw uh, r12 rts uh, rtps police models but i happened to have one of those yeah. par parallel twin beamers at the time and so 
I was familiar with the platform as well, the dry clutch, the way that when you when you give those parallel twins a little throttle, it gets that torque pull to the side, and um, you know, and so that was part of my my interview. I kind of explained, hey, like I'm familiar with this stuff. I had some riding. I don't want to sound cocky because I think yeah. there's the the better you get, the better you know you can get. So I I've found on an aside, the most humble people I've found are those that know a little bit and those that are masters at something. Because right. you know those that know a little bit don't realize. Uh, I'm sorry that that know a little bit know there's a lot more to know, and those that have learned a lot realize, my God, this this is a rabbit hole that just goes on forever. Yeah. So um, I've always liked to at least um, try to carry myself as somebody that's still learning yeah you know and then and, I, and not only that but it, it comes off like the whole uh under promise over deliver oh know? absolutely yeah absolutely and then, and then you, and you shine more it's just that yeah and then you can keep learning you don't have yeah. to you don't lose anything when you get beat at something and you there's can, no you just, point to say you you mastered it all there's nothing for me to learn yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, come on. by the way though i did hear at one point that they tried to close down the u.s patent office Years and years and years ago, because somebody said, well, there's no reason. Everything's been yeah, Everything's invented. been invented. So I love that story. But, but my, my other story that I like like that is uh, Walt Disney, when he was building Disneyland, they asked him, when will Disneyland be complete? And he said, uh, as long as the human imagination exists, it will never be complete. Wow. And that was in 57. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I like that answer. Yeah, too. that's awesome. Um, so, uh, <clears throat> so I put in for motors. And one of the things that happened to, hap- to, to occur was we had a number of guys putting in but somebody had just washed out of motor school and there was yeah. another one starting. This was, I was interviewed on a Thursday and motor school was starting on Monday. And typically they like to have you do a little bit of pre-academy because I don't know if you know much about motor riding, but it's, it's fundamentally different than any other kind of motorcycle riding that you'll do. <clears throat> and what's different about it is the way that we use the clutch. Yeah. Um, and ultimately the, the difference is you are essentially, you can call it the the cherry patch, the gray area, the friction zone, but your, your, your clutch is not fully engaged and it's not fully disengaged and you're riding these tight, tight patterns. And I ended up talking to this old timer out of, um, out of Florida, uh, super cool. Russell Groover, he has a book out, um, super, super cool old guy. Anyways, he was part of one of the original training pro like this guy was like kind of one of the pioneers of, of actually programming, um, you know, a, a course for people to get these big, heavy Harleys right. through tight cones. How are we going to do that? Well, if you're even though it's first gear, you let that clutch out, you're going to be going way too fast. Absolutely. If you have the clutch pulled in and, you know, you don't have enough momentum and you fall and you fall. So it, it's really weird gray area thing. So you, you got to have a good balance. You have to have good balance, and we do counterbalancing, but you really... Well, balance over, like, with the clutch, overall balance of how you're, you're handling the bike, throttle, clutch, everything. Yeah, yeah, just just having that the, the dexterity, but... Um, so what they had asked me was, they said, okay, well, it's Thursday. How do you feel about going to a motor school Monday? We don't have time to do a pre-academy with you. Do you think you'd pass? And, you know, I'm like, I mean, hell, I don't, I don't know. I said, I'll probably... I'll probably will pass. That's, that's I, I, th- the- I think you were so cool and mellow because you were at 35, where if you oh, would have yeah. came in like 22, like, oh, fuck everybody. Well, yeah, fuck everybody. It doesn't matter. They wouldn't even uh, have given the me this. They, they would have been like, this this guy's an idiot. Get him yeah. out of here. I wouldn't even have had the seat yeah. to talk. He's but, annoying. Yeah. You know, so. Um, so they said, are you ready for Monday? Yeah. So you're ready for Monday? And uh, I said, yeah, I think I'll be okay. So 
the funny thing with that is so Monday rolls around and, and I go to the to the school and they need to know, you know, who's who in the zoo and the students and what they know and what they don't know so they can kinda kind of figure you out a little bit and, yeah. and, and what, what learning style and et cetera. And they asked me, they sent me down, okay, tell me, we want to know everything about your training experience. So I start, you know, I mean, well, let's see, I started riding and racing when I was nine, and I go into dirt bikes, and I go into trials riding, and I no, go into... No, no, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to make yeah. this long. This is going to be like a Quentin Tarantino movie where the oh, end's oh. the beginning, the beginning. However, yeah. but but I do want to focus on, you You got into bikes, and then we'll get we'll go back in. Okay. But you got into <clears> bikes at nine. Who got you into bikes? Was it your father, your uncle? Well, I mean, this is, so I grew up in the San Fernando Valley out in Granada Hills, and at that time, this is late 70s. 80 right in there my um my parents are uh in the middle of a divorce my dad's told me for three or four years running you're not going to get a motorcycle because they're dangerous which he's absolutely right um but any um i think any socal neighborhood with boys in it in the 70s through that period of time you know you could throw a rock and hit somebody's garage that had dirt bikes in it no um so that was (laughs) You know, I'm rolling around yeah. on my on my BMX bike or my skateboard, and you know, I'm getting there's dirt bikes everywhere. So half my friends have them already. So I'm just telling my dad, like, dude, I'm behind the eight ball. We got we got to get on this. You know, my birthday rolls around, I get a like a stereo or something, and I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. You know, but it wasn't a motorcycle, and yeah. uh, so eventually, a stereo. I got, one used to give people stereos. Yeah, I did. I got a stereo and. Uh, uh, a Led Zeppelin album, and it was it was it was, it was awesome. As a, I was a drummer; it was a game changer. But that's another life. But so the um, eventually, I think my dad just felt guilty because yeah. of the family divorce, and suddenly I got a motorcycle, and I was you know it was, it was a silver lining for sure. Um, <clears throat> and it was a 1980 XR80. Nice. Uh, and I rode that thing. You know, he said, "Okay, here's the deal. <clears throat> we live in a cul-de-sac." And behind us were just hills and hills and hills. He said, you just can't ride it on the street, you know? And I said, well, absolutely. Well, my yes, parents, sir. <laughs> you know? So uh, that lasted uh, about an hour. Right. Uh, and he, you know, he, he left because I was, I, you know, my dad would visit on weekends. And we'd, we'd go down to Westwood and, and hang out and stuff. So once he left on that Saturday, I have my brand new XR80 and, you know, boom, I'm in the hills. You know, I have my Belmoto 3 on and some uh, high point boots. Helmet, no helmet, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Bel- yeah Bell Moto three oh, helmet, Bell <clears throat> open face or uh, full face helmet, one of the first ones. Yeah, and uh, some high points, uh, and that was it. I didn't, you know, it was kind of funny. I look back at this, and he we were at the motorcycle. It was Colby Honda on Reseda, and he's like, "All right, well, we're going to get you. A, here's your motorcycle," and, and we're walking around the store. And at the time, he's like, "All right, well, get whatever. Like, what do you need?" He's asking me if I need spare tires, yeah. if I need chain lube, if I need. Like whatever, and we're looking at leathers and jerseys and jofas and goggles, and and I'm like, no, 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 let's just go. Yeah. And I look back and I'm like, dude, dummy, dude, super. I could have got three, four sets of tires, a couple tubes, because those just, you know, I'm, I'm, you I'm, go through them like crazy. You go through my crazy. You, you're riding a dirt bike every single day. The tire was incessantly bald. Yeah. You know. So, anyways, I screwed, I screwed that up on the first go, <clears throat> but um, so I got my XR80. Uh, and, and rode and my, my best friend to this day, his name's Dean. Um, he lived, uh, funny enough. So my oldest sister, her name's Ariane. She was, Ariane. <laughs> she's equestrians, equestrian, rode horses. We, um, just like crazy. Her best friend, Kitty 
was my best friend Dean's older sister. Hi, Kitty. Hi, Kitty. So we so and both our sisters happen to be six foot tall girls, big, strong horseback chicks, and we're the little brothers. They she'd beat the crap out of me if you know if I looked at her wrong. <laughs> yeah. And we got into it a handful of times, and I lost every time. But yeah. So what? So we would we would share the kind of the the mountains, the hills, the trails. Yeah. There was this horseback community. Um, there was this motorcycle dirt bike community. It's like a paradise. It was it was amazing. Um, there's uh, at the north end of the valley a place called the Three Trees. You race up there and um, Mission Creek and Tampa Land. These are places lots of dirt bike people know and and would go to. You'd go there on any given day and there'd be six, seven, eight guys there. Yeah. But <clears throat> you'd share them with horses too. And because our sisters were horse, horseback girls. We knew as soon as we saw horses, we'd kill our bikes and pull to the side and wait because you'd spook the horses. Yeah, yeah. And it, if uh, they, I horses scare the hell out of me to this day. And so <laughs> I would ride a horse, and once a motorcycle went by, blowing by me, and I was on the horse, and it spooked it. I was like, "Yeah, I'm never going to do that." So <clears throat> anyway, so Dean taught me. I knew how to ride a motorcycle, but as most people that learn, <clears throat> you're just a rear brake guy. Yeah. Dean taught me how to use the front brake. He took me to a hill. <clears throat> he had a 1980 CR80, the two-stroke race Honda, which yeah. was 10 times faster than my XR. But um, he knew how to use the front brake. He had been riding a while. So he kind of introduced me to the whole thing, just... Like pumping the brakes, seventy percent of your yeah. braking's in the front. Yeah, kind of like exactly. But <clears throat> especially you know for for people that are new riders, that there wasn't ABS or there wasn't anything. You were pumping, and you weren't sliding oh, yeah. around by pushing the back brake all crazy. These were still drum brake little eighties, but yeah, yeah. You go down a you know you go down a hard packed dirt hill with just rear brakes. Goodbye. You're yeah. you know you're you're done. Uh, and that's kind of how how I would do it until he's like, no no no, because I just wad up at the bottom. So I learned how to use the front brake, and he so he was kind of one of the first people that really got me into motors, got me into learning how to ride. And we rode, really, I'd say safe to say, every day together for seven years. Um, obviously, we got bigger bikes, but yeah. <clears throat> from there, I got a YZ80 uh, the next year, and uh, again, my parents divorced. Back at this time, it's the early '80s. There was a thing called Est. I don't know if you've ever heard of Est. No, not familiar. A guy with named that. Warner Earhart, and it was sort of like a um, self-realization uh, philosophical um, uh, seminars, and you'd go there and learn about yourself and uh, discover I yourself. Yeah, all, yeah, all this stuff. L and it was, live in the now moment, <clears throat> be present. Yeah. So, uh, and it was a big deal. Uh, I don't know if it was just a SoCal thing, but it was a big, it was a big deal at the time. So my uh, my mom would go, and she's now. Um, dating this uh, this uh guy super good guy who's my stepdad now um but they introduced me to a guy who raced there's a there's a club in southern california called over the hill gang and it's a vet club vets 30 and over racing just motocross and he nice. had a yz465 yamaha and he raced this club and like oh my our, our son rides well this guy his name is bill he didn't ride as much as he he was a racer yeah. So this was kind of my first introduction to somebody that's like, you know, if you're going to if you're going to put gas in that thing, line up on a starting line. Yeah. You know, that's where you really want to live. Um, but I didn't know etiquette on a track. I didn't know any of that stuff. So we went to Indian Dunes <clears throat> off the 126 there at the time. And he kind of showed me his, he'd, he'd pull in front of me and tap his rear fender. And uh, he gave me a stern talking to at the truck when we were in Indian Dunes. While I'm on my YZ80 and he's like, look, hold your line. What does that mean? 
It means wherever you are on the track, stay there. If somebody comes up, you hear them coming, do not try to get out of anybody's way. Just keep doing what you're doing. They're faster. They will go by you. And he, you know, so I'm terrified getting on a track for the first time, especially yeah. when you're on an 80 and you got some fast guys on a track on a practice day. It is terrifying, super terrifying, dangerous. And uh, everybody knows who the newbies are. Oh, absolutely. So, and they, they, fuck, they, they fuck with them. Yeah. Oh, they, they definitely do. Um, so he'd get in behind in front of me and tap his rear fender and be like, you know, follow my line. So he kind of showed me what a track looks like how to navigate it, how to start looking at apexing, how to look at lines, how to pick your lines, um, how, you know, just some of the race craft associated. I wouldn't even call it, it wasn't race craft, but, you know, for all intents and purposes, that, that's what we, we think of it as today. This was just a, you know, a chubby 10-year-old kid trying to get around a track without getting slammed into by some guy on his, on his husky. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I started started doing some racing and, and um and then I, again, like I said, our neighborhood, <clears throat> we're, we're right up against the mountains. We would ride every day. There were tracks everywhere. Um, and on any given day, there's six, seven, eight, nine guys out there going. Um, so another guy, Mike DiStefano in my neighborhood, and I still go riding with him today, but uh, I think I met him when I was maybe five or six, about wow. five years older than me. Um, he and his brother Dom, they're from, they're from New York. You know, he comes out, he's, he's from the Bronx. He's this rough and tumble, big, strong guy. And he rides dirt bikes and yeah. just the guy was like, I, I idolized him, but I also was afraid of him. Yeah. He was just like a bigger than life guy. He's still a bigger than life guy. Um, but awesome guy. And he, you know, he's riding CR 250 Elsinores and he's fast and he, he's a racer too. So um, uh, this, this guy, Bill, you know, I, we'd see him now and again, but this guy now, this Disto, as we call him, he lives right around the corner from me. So he'd, he'd, uh, throw my 80 into his, into his, uh, RV and, you know, sneak me into the track and, let's go. you know, and we'd go all the time and it was a lot, a lot of fun. So, um, on and on that, that, that whole thing, riding and racing and, and motorcycles. So this was, this was like being injected into your blood this was your, oh yeah this was your your choice of drug right here yeah i mean this is everything and i, and I think um you know up to this point you, you take a look at for me what it what it represented was community in a big way uh, i was also had this uh, it, it, the juxtaposition between fear and being completely stimulated and excited was a was a weird place and you could kind of live in that space on a motorcycle yeah um you know, the, the thing that I, uh, I'm so jealous of as somebody who's ridden for so many years now, as I look back at a complete newbie kid discovering a small little rise on a hill that's confused and excited by it and just, you know, scared. The, and scared, <laughs> but the majesty of it, it's like, God, I just wish, like, I, th I think every day I go to the track today and I ride, I, you know, I think we're chasing that wonder that we had when we were kids you know yeah. i you know but the problem now is you know your fourth gear pin doing some 120 foot you're going to kill yourself and i had some airlifts it's not like falling over trying to go over that little rise right but that's i think for me what it was <clears throat> um was i now and i and i was getting better at it and that gave me some status um within that little that little community um and uh and i you know and i just couldn't I couldn't get away from. I just couldn't put it down. You yeah. know, every day. Why would you? Right, and 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 just because of the geography, you know, we lived like I said, right up against those hills in, in uh, Granada Hills, 
And, and, and your, and your stepdad welcomed it. Stepdad was fine with it. I mean, you know, I don't know how much he loved it, but you know, these were things he was in, you know, these were things that were already in place when he came along, he ended up actually becoming friends with Bill and he got a motorcycle too. He got in a, he got a 79 Suzuki PE 250 that he, but he was a triathlete too. He, he did the Hawaiian Ironmans. Um, and at some point he was training so much, he stopped riding his PE 250. And as I grew a little in my dirt bike, maybe it was down, I'd grab his PE and uh, all my friends will have stories of that PE 250 throwing them to the ground vigorously. Uh, to this day, it's still one of those like, it's it's a great, it's the bike just it would never die, and it just you know yeah. it just killed all of us. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, he was he was cool with it, and I, you know, once I was say 16, and I could drive to the track on my own. So um, and it wasn't too invasive, I don't think. I'd just gas up and, and I was gone, and then I you know I'd come back yeah. three hours later. But I mean, we rode every single day and all day on weekends, and uh, yeah, it was it was a, it was a, you know, and I I I assume people with with stories about whatever it was that they got into there, like you said, it was in their blood, and you got into that community. I joke with people today; <clears throat> they go, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting into motorcycles, and I especially street bikes." Uh, I say, man, I don't know. It's, it's really, really dangerous. And, uh, their first, of course, push push back. Yeah. You ride bikes. And I say, yeah, well, I've been doing it for a long time and I know it's wrong and I'm going to get hurt and I've been hurt and me and all my friends know. And I just tell them, I go, it's like, it's like an old smoker. Yeah, I've been smoking for 35 years and I'm going to keep smoking and I know I'm going to get lung cancer and I accept that. But if you're, you know, you're 20 years old and you've never smoked and you're asking me if it's a good idea, the answer is no, it's not a good idea. Or if you're 40 years old and you want to get <laughs> in, it's like, why are you going to start smoking now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And <clears throat> So uh, I did step out of motorcycles for a while. Uh, I got into, you know, this is like late 80s, 90. I got into roller hockey, and uh, which leads into ice hockey. But a funny thing happened. I'm playing ice hockey. And a lot of, again, in the, in, the, in the Valley, a lot of pickup games would, would show themselves. And you just show up and you sign up. And I'm playing ice. And, and there's, there's this guy next to me, super nice, but he seems kind of nervous, kind of quiet guy. And I'm like, hey, how you doing? We sort of shoot the breeze. And uh, he's like, oh, man, I just... I haven't been on the ice. I haven't skated forever. Yeah. And he's like, God, I'm going to suck. And, and he just seemed kind of nervous about it. So like, well, we're going to warm up. And he hops out on the ice. And I see him warming up. And pretty soon he's, you know, skating backwards. He looks looks really, looks really good. <laughs> looks really comfortable. Like, wait a minute. And then the game starts. And he's within about 20 minutes. No joke. He wipes the floor with everyone at the rink. And I, uh, when we're all done, I'm like, you know, first of all, I'm like kind of pissed. <laughs> Yo, dude. Like, dude, somebody just, you're full of crap. Yeah. I go, so what's the story here, dude? I, you know, you seem pretty uncomfortable and you're by far the best guy here. And he goes, well, uh, you know, and he's very humbly, super nice. He goes, well, I mean, I grew up in Canada. I've been skating since I was two <laughs> and I skated all through high school. And then I was like, okay. So I had this epiphany and I thought, and I got into, again, ice hockey when I was now I'm in like my mid-20s. And I was like, why am I reinventing the wheel? I've got all this work already done in motorcycles. I can just get on right now and go do good and enjoy myself. Let's. So that that was kind of my, my aha moment that maybe I should stick to a wheelhouse I'm already good at and comfortable with. Trying new things is great. Right. But, but I got to that point with hockey where... I discovered it. It was magical. It was cool. And you have those, anytime you start something new, you get those immediate 
just your your skill set just it just screams you improve like you know that that graph just shoots up absolutely but then it starts to taper off and this is like a year and a half into really trying to be Mr. Skate. I'm going to get good. Yeah. And then this guy just shows me he hasn't done it for six years and he's just the best guy there. So I realized maybe. And, and, and he was humble about it. It was back to what you were saying, you know, like that whole under promise or where he's like, Oh, well, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Hey, you know, it's been <laughs> yeah. six years. I hey, feel yeah. uncomfortable. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no offense. I love, I, you know, and no, not to stereotype, not, but uh, not. I, I've hey. yet, I'm knocking on wood, I've yet to meet a Canadian person that wasn't uh, enthusiastic, super cool, funny, and just awesome to be be around. I'm, I'm sure there's one or two, but I haven't met them, so yeah. I probably won't. I, I met this past weekend, just random, uh, this past weekend uh, doing this uh, BMW Adventure Camp. There was this Mexican guy living in Canada doing mining into BMW Adventure Bikes and owns two coffee shops. Nicest guy I've ever met. <laughs> wow and a great writer right and a great writer so um yeah so uh, that led me into street bikes um so you want you tried the hockey you're like you know what let me go back to what i know you get um, back yeah. into street bikes well yeah i mean i had and uh, you, my, did you race them right street bikes i never raced i never road raced street bikes i went to a lot of track days and you know keith code superbike schools stuff like that um what tracks um just mostly willow Willow. Just rode Willow, Big Willow streets. Um, I was, I knew it. I was comfortable with it. Uh, a lot of the clinics that I would go to were there, so I liked it. Uh, plus, there was, a, I think it's a Dairy Queen that's right off the, that's right near there. And I, you know, I'm a big ice cream fan, so yeah. uh, I would always get ice cream there. Uh, and a hotel next door that, that I would crash at. But my first street bike was a '85, uh, I think, uh, Honda Nighthawk S. Uh, it was a that's seven. What, that's what I started on. Oh, really? That, that was my first street bike. Yes. I started on dirt, but dirt, but that was my first street bike. So they had ones with the. It was all black with the blue in the tank or red in the tank. Right, right. mine was the navy dark blue with I okay. think red on it. Mine was it was the red tank. Yeah, uh, those were the faster ones. No. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, mine had stickers on it too, so it went I think two mile, two horsepower or it was the the stickers. Yeah. I can't remember now, lost in the math, but uh, so. I got in, you know, so a lot of my friends that I rode dirt bikes with, we all kind of transitioned to street bikes too. Uh, so the hockey thing, that story was was still later. This Nighthawk, now I'm like 15, 16. Um, I don't get a motorcycle license because, you know, why should That's I? Cool. I already know how to ride. Yeah, of course. And, and um, at this point, uh, you know, summers in, in SoCal, we would, me and my friend Cal, he had a CB750. And basically we'd wake up, we'd race through the canyons to Malibu beach. Yeah. We'd hang out and race back and we'd take, you know, different, different routes. We'd take Topanga to old Topanga, you know, and Mulholland. And we just do that every day, every day, every day with, you know, shorts and a tank top. Like I think it's, back, it I, sounds I mean, it sounds like a dream. It really I, sounds like the California dreaming. If anybody in any other state or any part of the world hear this, which they are, they're going to be like, this is, Oh man, those, those times, just think about it. It's like you're, uh, you're off for, for summer break, you're in high school, your buddy rolls up on his cool bike. Uh, you, you know, you're not wearing any, you know, safety gear. I have a helmet on and I think that was helmet and gloves maybe was all I had. Um, with flip flops or with, something. No, I I'm never kidding. wore flip flops, <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, cause with having the off-road background, I, I definitely knew what it felt like to hit the ground. Yeah. 
but still on the street. I, you know, I, I should have had like a Cushitani full suit and all that other stuff, which I later got into. But, you know, now I've just got, you know, I got my suntan lotion. So my, you know, my, I can get a little, little tan and my karate shorts. kids playing at movie theaters. Absolutely. <laughs> and we would just blast through these canyons. Stupid, stupid. But, um, you know, never had a problem. Nobody ever got hurt, but just so much fun. You know, and you'd stay out of the beach and on your way home, you know, it would start getting cold and you'd freeze on the way back. It's weird how, on an aside, how the suffering, the memories of the suffering become a big sort of positive aspect of the stories of the memories of it. Satisfying. That's, yeah. that's what you remember. Whether it be, you know, the, the chain broke on a, on, you're out in the backwoods yeah. and you and your buddies have to push your bike or the mud or you fouled the plug. Yeah. Like I had a buddy of mine, we were at uh, Neptune's, not Neptune's, we were up in uh, Angeles Crest, uh, Newcombs. Okay. And he was trying to burn out and he just seized his motor. And we were right. just there for like six hours. And that was the story that six hours trying to get Wi Fi. But yeah. It's hard to be in the moment and go, hey, this is going to be a great story. I'm so excited yeah. that I'm cold and hungry and we're, we're screwed. Yeah. But but it tends to it tends to get that way. Um, Everything gets better no matter what the issue is. Everything gets better, and then it just becomes another story that you learn from or an experience that yeah. you're happy to have. Otherwise, what you went home and then watched TV and listened to some music. Yeah, you know, hypothetically. And I think we forget about you know it's just like anything. I mean, it was really really hard, but you know you're you know you warm up, scabs heal, you know stitches get taken out. Um, you know, your medical bills get paid eventually, you know, and you can, you move forward. It always works out. It always works out. Um, so, you know, moving around and doing other stuff, um, the, the motorcycle stuff, I kind of picked back up in my, my later twenties. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a cosmetic executive and traveling a lot, but now I have a house, I have a garage. I, cause there was a brief period. I lived in an apartment and I'm like, you know, I had, I had a couple street bikes and within three months they got stolen and you know they had like i think i had a i had a r1 that maybe had 1200 miles on it i bought a harley fat boy i think it had maybe 2000 miles on it they just get snagged check this out uh i'm, in, I'm living in in the valley i have a harley fat boy underground locked parking so it's a gated locked you need a code to get in right um my motorcycle is covered with a cover lock it has a, a it has a disc lock it has a cable lock to a iron gate and it's pushed up against a wall with my truck right up against it dude right it gets taken like that it gets taken like that here's the crazy part and i mean there's and it's it's one of those underground parkings uh, for apartments where it's tandem yeah. so it's way up it's way in there it's two yeah. parking spaces in and there's there's cars on either side of me too so this bike is sandwiched in there right let's just say if we didn't move cars there's no way you and I could get that bike out no way so i i go down there in the morning my truck is there cars on either side of my truck it's like 7 in the morning my cover is laying on the ground. My Harley is gone. But what, you know, and although I was, I was upset and I was freaked out and all that other stuff, what still to this day kind of blows my mind, they didn't even scratch my truck. They didn't scratch the car next to my car. They didn't move my mirror. Like, these guys had to have lifted that bike yeah. four feet up off the ground. Like, I'm guessing. And, and again, it was so locked up. I had I had, I think, five or six like legit locks on that thing. You know, you have the, you have the bike locks, the steering lock and maybe a disc lock, but I, it was 
locked to a few items and then locked to itself. You, it was not rolling anywhere. Right, but the cover was off. The cover, yeah, they cut. It was a lock cover, you said, or no? So yeah, the cover was on and the cover had a cover lock on it. So that they, they picked it up for sure. Yeah, they had to have. But yeah. but I'm telling you, I had a I had a four by four dually, and to I, pick it up over that. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking Whoa. at this thing. I'm like. You know, like more power to you, I guess. Yeah. You know, whatever. So uh, I called the police department to file a police report, and the guy. Uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, you know, I'm, obviously I'm not a, I'm not a cop, and I uh, I go, hey, yeah, I need a police report, blah blah blah. He go, all right, what is it, blah blah. blah. I tell him, all right, what's your address? What's your name? All right, you know, report number, blah 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 blah. And I go, well, you know, there's so there's a chain lock here, and the covers here, and you know, an investigation might be meaningful. And the guy goes, <laughs> pal, your bike's in Mexico. Have a nice day. <laughs> and that was Straight it. Out. Yeah. And I was like, well, he goes, you have insurance, right? Yeah. Do the right thing. You know, move, move forward. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, <laughs> that was that. But um, once I, and then I realized, you know what? The little maybe, things that stick huh, yeah. after time, like little weird comments. and yeah, Right. <laughs> but I'm thinking maybe a garage is, is not a bad idea uh, if I'm going to get back into motorcycles. So. Um, so I moved up to Ventura. I was still in the uh, cosmetic business. Um, and I got into, uh, I had some street bikes. I really wasn't doing like a track thing. I just had yeah. some street bikes like to ride, but I started getting into trials riding and those are the, you know, two stroke little gas gas. Right. Um, I had a, it's a 280 pro and, uh, these are really, I mean, if you know much about uh, what, what intrigued me, if you watch any trials riders, these guys are basically, you know, this is Cirque du Soleil on a motorcycle. These guys are acrobats, um, just insane technique and skill. Uh, you know, I look at it like I always say, like, you know, you like this kind of music or that kind of music. The best musicians in my, this is just my opinion as a drummer, yeah. are jazz guys. If you're a jazz musician, like a legit jazz guy, you can do anything. You are a surgeon on your instrument. And to me, that's kind of the same thing when you look at these trials guys. These guys are amazing. How do they do this? The balance, the control, um, the clutch work, just phenomenal. So it intrigued me. And I, and I started getting into that. And I'm watching videos of some other, you know, pro trials guys and working on technique and stuff. That leads me to, oh, you know what a lot of trials guys do on their time off is they ride unicycles. Mm. Like, I didn't know that. Well, cool. So that makes sense. You know, it, it kind of does. Um, I originally I thought maybe it's because girls liked it, you know, because it's kind of a natural the unicycles and and meeting girls, mm -hmm. but apparently that's not the case. As I found out, my yeah. wife confirms with me over and over, but <laughs> but they look like dorks. It's like, dude, can you do that somewhere else, not yeah. in front of our house, please? Yeah. You know, I don't want the neighbors to see you. <laughs> so uh, so I got a unicycle, and then I got a trials bicycle, and kind of just went down that rabbit hole. You know how many hole. people are gonna get a unicycle right now? I'll tell you what, let me, hey, look, can I plug a unicycle for you right now? If you want to improve your balance, if you want to improve every single aspect of your motorcycle riding, no joke, no, no BS, get a unicycle and give yourself time to learn it. it you're not going to learn it in a day. There are those brave souls that, you know, they're like, I can pick up anything. I'm, I'm not going to put it down until I can do it. Save yourself the stress and the heartache. Give yourself... 15 solid hours broken up over the course of a week or two, but it's amazing how here's what it did for me. So again, I'm, I'm a big off-road guy and I have a group of very solid off-road rider buddies of mine and we'll, we'll go out into some tricky trails. And once I started riding the unicycle, something weird happened when I was motorcycle riding and I didn't connect the dots until 
you know, I was, I was far into really, really being a unicycle guy. And what that is, is uh, if you've ever ridden, um, and I'm just going to use it because the example that it hit me was this off-road, you're right, you're going through, say, a really rocky, uh, messy technical section. Um, maybe you're in the wrong gear. Maybe you get cross-rutted. You have that tinge of, oh, crap. It's, it's, you have a moment to make a decision about what am I going to do. You feel things are starting to fall apart on you. Uh, and, and that fear or that tension or that discomfort in no way benefits the decision-making process or what you're actually going to start doing and manipulating the controls to make you maneuver through this challenge that you've put yourself in. Right. When you ride a unicycle, once you can actually ride it, <clears throat> for the first, I don't know, 100 hours, you're going to be riding it in about every two seconds, maybe one second, you're going to have that fearful, oh, my God, I'm falling. And you know what that's like when it's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, yeah. I'm going to fall. And it's, it's scary, and it's kind of paralyzing. Yeah. Well, after about a 1,000 of those, you still maybe almost fall, but for some weird reason, there's this shift in your mindset. And what you start doing just by natural muscle memory is you just start making that adjustment without thinking so much about it, without uh, without sort of worrying about it or identifying what is it. Um, oh, my God, I don't know if I can do this. So what starts to happen is you ride your unicycle, but you're not scared anymore. You almost fall off or you do fall off. It just And the you, other thing is it, it's it's not very forgiving. You know, you have one mistake, like a motorcycle. Yes, you, like I, a motorcycle, yeah. the consequences is going to be. The, the focus, and, and, and yeah, that's that's a zen place that I like about unicycles, too. It's one of the few things I've done, motorcycles as well, but it's one of the few things I've done that requires 100% of your focus all the time. You can't just start thinking about something else. You're off. You're off that thing. Um, so what I found was I started riding with these guys, and there were sections where it's very, very kind of like, you know, the crescendo of your ride where this is the technical spot. Yeah. And I was just blazing through them, no problems. They were harder, ruddier, trickier, the downhills, whatever it was. <clears throat> and I was like, wow, that was easy, really, really easy, and had no issues. And I eventually, over time, realized, wow, what's actually now happening is I'm riding a motorcycle and these crazy weird things almost falling thing. The bike's doing this and it's doing that and the wheels are locked up and I'm cross-rutting and I'm sliding off. I'm not going where I want to go. And all my brain was doing was, okay, what's what do I need to do now? We don't judge it. We don't worry about it. And all the fear and tension went away from my riding. Yeah. And I was just able to just kind of work on a solution set moment Naturally. to moment. It, I, and, 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 and I'm sure you work out all those weird muscles like around the knees and legs that usually don't work out because you're going left and right and forward and back and your hips are moving. So, yeah. So you, you have a natural posture. Your core that, definitely that, is, is a huge part of the unicycle. You know, yeah. You, um, yeah, you, you, yeah, but you could bend your knees like side to side, forward, back, you know, hip movement. Like there's just so much stuff going on there yeah. that it was just naturally being applied to the, to, to the motorcycle. Yeah. So that, that was just kind of a, kind of no a weird No matter deal. how uneven the ground was on off-road. And so when, you know, when, when I, when I see these guys trials and they're riding unicycles, I really didn't, I don't know. I didn't really think about it. I just thought, oh, well, they do. Maybe it'll make my trials riding better. I didn't really realize it would help everything. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> So the trials riding was pretty cool. The problem with trials, at least where I live, I know it's big in Europe and other places, but have you ever done something kind of really crazy where you've, um, you weren't sure you were going to make it and you pulled it off 
but you were alone and it was like there was no one there yeah. to go dude that yeah. was insane we did that trials writing was like that i would uh, i you know i'd ride around I'd, I'd challenge myself and i'd look around for a witness and i'm all alone and I'd call my buddy. I, I tried. I can't tell you how many how I many phone calls I made. So much. I'm like, hey, God, dude, Dean, Dean, dude. Let me tell you, trials is where it's at. And they're like, yeah, dude, yeah, I'm not really interested in it. But <laughs> right. you know, call me when you want to go to the track or whatever. So eventually, I you know, and and I I ended up meeting up with a, a you know, I attribute. And this is going to sound probably like I'm slamming on trials, guys, but it's kind of like I'm trying to join a Dungeons and Dragons underground club because yeah. none of my friends will join it. <laughs> right. And then I get into this club and I'm like, well, you you know, yeah, we're playing Dungeons and Dragons and I like the game, but you know that that, over that, it, that community thing I talked about, I'm not really feeling that part. Yeah. So uh, ultimately, <laughs> uh, no offense, trials is awesome. Oh, they're gonna be so pissed. Yeah, I'm in trouble oh, now. They're not gonna <laughs> sleep now. <laughs> so. Uh, so eventually I, I got out of it and, and that was kind of a weird revelation too. It's like, why do you ride? Well, the motorcycle's this and it's that and it's fun and it does this and that for me. But again, that community thing, that having a witness, having somebody to share that with. I go to the track now with guys, this guy Deesto I told you about that I've known since maybe I was five. Another guy, Mike, I've been riding and racing with him since seventh grade. Yeah. And um, there's something pretty cool when we get off the track and we sit down and we're giving each other a rash of crap about how horrible all You're this right, did. You're right, like, shit. Yeah, yeah, dude, you suck. That was kind of cool, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I won. But we have, we, I mean, you know, we have history. We have stories. We can we can give each other crap about stuff that happened in 1982. That's amazing. I mean, it's just so, so cool. And that trials thing wasn't building that, which, right. which retrospectively surprises me. It was probably just all competitive. Well, it was, you know, it was, it was, I was learning and I was getting better as a motorcycle rider, but I wasn't getting fulfilled from the standpoint of wanting to go back because it was missing that element of it, which was that, that teaming, partnering, you know, um, my, you know, having witnesses, having friends, having other people experiencing their joy and pain in it too. Yeah. And that's been something, you know, you just now, you know, I'm 50, but now I look back at what motorcycling has meant to me and you know, when I was 20, I never would have told you, well, the reason I ride motorcycles is it's for community. It's like, right. what are you talking I mean, about? Because I'm going to go as fast as I can and beat and as many like people it. as I can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> so. And Malibu and everything else. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the sun in my hair. The sun in my hair. Your tanning lotion. All right, right. Love it. So now this is your background on motorcycles. And now you're in the police force. Yeah. And, and, and they're saying, you know. You're ready for Monday, and or do you have any experience? And exactly. So I'm sitting down with you're them. You're like a little. Uh, yeah. So it's, Maybe. it's kind of. And again, I um, like I said before, the um, if you've done something long enough, the one thing you know is there's always somebody bigger, badder, better than you are. Always. Um, and always, 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 always. And you know, you can go to any local track, and there will be some you know eight year old that will just school you. And, like, and you're like, what is that? You yeah. know. So um, you know, definitely. Um, not sitting down with these guys telling them how the world works. But, you know, I, I kind of gave them, they, they wanted the nuts and bolts of my experience, the types of platforms I've been on, um, you know, and so I kind of talk about uh, track days and, you know, I've had, you know, five or six different GSXR 1000s over the years and Hayabusa's and, and um, done a lot of just, just track day stuff, no, uh, no racing uh, for street, but a lot of schools, dirt track school. Um, and they 
politely look at me and they pause and they seem kind of uncomfortable. And the guy says to me, he goes, I'm going to, I'm going to level with you. I'm going to be honest. You're, you're probably not going to get through the program. And I was like, thinking to myself, what are you talking about? I, I can do it. I can ride any motorcycle. Right. I've done it all. But you know uh, too much. You know, but that, so what they said was, yeah, your, your, your muscle memory and the way that you ride, police riding is so different. You're probably not going to get it. And I said, you know, and so I, uh, and I was like, well, well, you know, maybe you're right. So what I, That's I so interesting. It was, it was, it was kind yeah, of a, a mind. Eye yeah, it was, it was definitely. So what I told him at the time is I said, uh, here's what I promise you. I'm going to shut the F up. I'm going to do exactly what you tell me to do and nothing else. No more, no less. Exactly what you tell me. So you were doing front wheel willies. No, but I, but I, but I tried <laughs> to get my mind wiped of my experience. Right. And, um, you know, there's something really freeing about being an FNG, about saying, you know what, my training and my experience, my ego, whatever my whatever that is, yeah. throw all that in the closet for a minute and just shut up and listen to somebody telling you how to do something. Yeah. Um, it's very freeing. You get to be a beginner. You kind of get to have that majesty of seeing that little rise on the hill and really progress. And that, you know, that just shooting up skill set was was that was the op- opportunity I had, <clears throat> yeah. I thought. so. And it's interesting because obviously they, you know, the, the CHP and the police department have been riding bikes forever. Right, right. So you get to see why they're doing things a certain way and completely different from yeah. what you were used to. And there were things, for example, you go to— And a, again, it, it's back to that 35-year-old thing because if you were 22 years old, you'd be like, what? That's not how you do it. Right. They'd be like, sir, like, this yeah. is how you do it. I'm sorry. Hey, no, exactly, exactly. Uh but, you know, and they were right. Um, just some major fundamental differences, for example. Um, most people, uh, especially if you're a track day guy, um, you cover the front brake when you ride. Um, why? Well, maybe you know how to do trail braking and you ride tracks. Or maybe you just want to improve on the reaction time in an emergency situation. You cover the front brake. Right. Riding motorcycles, I always cover the front brake. My finger rests there. It lives there. Uh, rule number one in police motor training at basic school, and, and understand that I'm sure there are schools that teach covering the front brake, but everyone I've been to and most of the people I've talked to and argued with, they are do not cover the front brake at all. You don't touch that front brake. And when you need the front brake, it's four-finger full braking. Four-finger full braking. Yeah. The clutch, on the other hand, four-finger cover e- the even, clutch. Even if the bike has ABS or regardless? Well, I... So my, uh, my thought to that, because over the years going to these police motor competitions and I've had a chance to meet and talk to a lot of guys from all over the, well, at least the, 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 the United States and Canada and Mexico and, and a few other places, Australia, from what I can gather, it's a very antiquated, very antiquated program. Um, and when I talked to this guy, I mentioned Russell Groover, who kind of was the one of the f- forefathers of the, the, the process and the program that went in place to teach guys how to ride. This guy's talking about riding a, a drum brake Harley back in 1940-something, mm. um, <laughs> you know, and in a torrential downpour in Florida. Well, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with four finger braking on that, you know, yeah. covering the front brakes probably going to be meaningless in a situation like that. Yeah. Um, so. Um, and I'll tell you a funny thing is I've had guys tell me, um, these master instructors, not to rag on anybody, but 
um, we'd be at a motor competition and, um, you know, there's all sorts of different events and the kind of the biggie is the timed course who went the fastest. So this one in particular, for example, I'd, I'd be the, the winner, I'd get first place and, um, I'd have these guys, more than one guy has argued with me like, yeah, but you don't ride correctly. You ride wrong. Um, mm. so that really, that really discounts <laughs> as the you're f- holding your trophy, yeah, it was, I, I, <laughs> but it, it, it opened my mind to the idea of why. So if there's a, cause, cause I look at it this way. If you and I are shooting guns, yeah. the best technique is the guy who has the cleanest target. It's just right. that simple. And the you know, bullets, the closest, et cetera. All that, yeah. you know, the winner of a, of a road race, I'm going to go with his technique. Probably, you know, the yeah. guy with the best workout program, I'm going to look at the one who's probably in the best shape. I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to start there. But, but that they looked at me and said, you don't ride correctly and discounted the fact that I beat everybody in this, in this avenue this forum that we're using it made me ask sort of what's the purpose of why we do it why is it this way and i kind of went down the rabbit hole with a few people and was never able to get a solid answer to that question and meanwhile we have two big disc brakes on the bike abs you know i can do on a police bike i can do a stoppy with one finger two fingers i can modulate better so i usually use two but i I can do it with one finger. You can do full. You can lock that thing up, um, assuming you get the ABS to to uh, to fail. Which right. Is, or is if a, you turn it off intentionally. Yeah, you can turn it off, or you can make them fail on the police bikes. There's a little process do, to it. Do they do, do they have like like my BMW right now has the link braking? Do you guys have that too? Yeah. So there's two different kinds of link braking. The way the Beamer works, from my understanding, is when you grab front brake, it also Applies back. applies rear brake, which it'll, is it'll, unusual. It'll control how much front and back. Like you'll do 60, 40, 40, 60, 50, 50. Uh, yeah, depending I'm, on the situation. I'm not. I'm not sure what the ratio is on that, but my understanding is yeah. So if you put on rear brake, it does not grab front brake. Whereas, say a Honda, like an ST1300, other Hondas. I think I had a. I used to have a VFR1000. Right. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was a 700. Okay. And it uh, it had link brakes. Well, the way Honda looked at link brakes was most of the motorcycle public doesn't know that 80% of your braking is front brake. Right. So they're only using rear brake. So we're going to apply front brake for them right. because they don't know what the hell they're doing. So in that scenario, you touch the rear brake mm-hmm. and it grabs front brake for you. Mm-hmm. You could literally, my VFR, I could ride around and never touch the front brake because yeah. every time I was stabbing the rear, it was grabbing front. You could feel the front brake pull. Yeah. Obviously I, I didn't like that, but um, you know, That's it's going to, it's going to save lives if you don't know what you're doing. BMW, for whatever reason, is exactly the opposite of that. And I think to a far lesser degree in the actual um, application, whatever that ratio is. I mean, I think I've never really, to be honest with you, when I'm grabbing front brake on my Beamer, I've never really noticed the rear brake. Yeah. Um, but a little brake, you know, for the like tra- kind of trail brake and dragging the rear a little bit, it's never necessarily a bad thing. It's not so. Well, in- I, I think that would be the reason why they went with front to link Potentially. And then the back, not because the back, when you're going off trail roading, you know, you have, you, you use more of your back brake as you're going down hills and up rocks. That's That would be yeah. my guess. I'm not sure. I don't know. We're going to have to take a beer bet on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm done. All I'm, right. I'm in. All right. Deal. In. We're in. Uh, so um, anyway, so I go I go to the motor school and, you know, and I just say, I'm going to be a new guy and I'm just going to shut up. And I'm going to do what they tell me. Um, and, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, I it opened up my eyes to this clutch modulation thing where we live in this friction zone. It's a strange, it's a strange deal. 
Um, but basically, you know, when you're going really, really slow, first gear, full lock turns, and you're dragging the clutch a little bit, um, those bikes will do some pretty amazing things. Yeah. And over the years, um, so, so I got through, I got through the program. Um, I didn't have any issues. You know, once you figure that part out, that's the thing is there's only a couple things that are different. Yeah. They're worlds away from what you know. But once you know those things, everything else applies. You know, right. you're not you're not suddenly riding different. You know, when you're going down the freeway per se, there's some motor etiquette um, and just some some of the ways that they teach you about, you know, you know, staggered formation or riding two up or riding single file. There's there's things like that that we do. But as far as actually handling a police motorcycle, that's really the only real kind of brain teaser where you're like whoa and i'm struggling with that um and i've seen guys that are amazing riders that just can't do it um yeah. you know because it's, it's a weird thing so um but after that yeah it, it opened my eyes to that and then the competitive guy in me was like hey somebody told me uh he's like hey they have these police motor competitions you can do and of course uh, you know i i wasn't really doing much in the way of racing dirt bikes at the time and I'm like, well, I'm on this thing every damn day. This yeah. might be kind of cool. Yeah. So I looked into it a little there's bit. A trophy? <laughs> there's, yeah. There's. I can go, you know, compete against some people and you know, put it on the line a little bit. Yeah. That's kind of exciting, you know. So. Um, Does the department cover that? Do you get paid for that too? I, I, it, no. So. Question. So no, it comes up all the time. Uh, yeah. The first thing I'll, I'll read a forum and somebody will say they'll be like, "Yeah, well, you know, I, I'd be the best in the world if they gave me a motorcycle to destroy and paid for me to go yeah, compete." Yeah. And I wrote it every day. Okay, dude. And to a degree, I agree with some of that. You know, I, I mean, know. I look at you know, like I'll read a motorcycle magazine and you'll see them just. Or it's like looking at a look at a truck commercial. You see some guy off roading up the mountains with his brand new ninety thousand dollar pickup truck. You're not going to do that because he's right. going. They're going to destroy seven of them making that commercial. Right. So, so you know, if I get to the top of the hill and say, "Yeah, look what I do with my truck," it's like, "Yeah, dude, it's not your truck. Yeah. You're not really going to do that." Yeah. Um, so the way that generally worked with our department was, uh, I wanted to go to one of these events, so I started asking, you know, if I could f move my schedule around a little bit. Um, and the whole kind of the idea was this. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this city-owned vehicle to a motor competition. And here's what I pledged at the time. Um, my sergeant, uh, his name was Ryan. I, I said, hey, look, I, I'd really like to do this. Um, he's the gatekeeper. He can say no or, you know, we don't do that. Right. But he was super cool about it. Um, and I said, Here, here's what I'll do. I, if, if, if I break anything... I'll pay to get it fixed. I will pay my own way. I won't take my own time. I mean, I'll take my own time, sorry. And um, so he said, all right. And, and, uh, and I would bring my wife and, um, and we'd go on these cool adventures, you know. And looking back, there's a million liability reasons why not. You don't like anything. If I was to tell you, show me, you know, if I, if I got our, our, our you know, our, our city attorney in here and said, okay, I'm going to give you some scenarios. Where are we exposed? You know, it'd probably be a laundry list. Right. <clears throat> but the knock on wood uh, positive thing was I knew that when I went to these things, I couldn't break the bike. And I also knew I need to win these things because if I'm, you know, if I'm risking all these things and, uh, losing. and getting <laughs> 28th place, I don't think anyone's going to care. Yeah. Hey, I need to go to another one. Yeah. So, 
part of the just the, do your job. <laughs> yeah, just, just just try to Chill, do your Quinn, job. Come on. Yeah, and and we had other uh, guys in the unit that uh, good <laughs> friends of mine that never uh, uh, hesitated to remind me that it's not really my job to to try to you know be a motor motor guy and do no. competitions. Like, how about figure out how to write a traffic ticket, dude? <laughs> so you know, even to this day, they're like, "Ah, hey, you weren't really in uh, motors." You know, uh, so so we started going to those, and um, it was just fun. We'd get out out for the weekend, and you know, I could compete, and um, <clears throat> you know, I and I, I to be perfectly honest, I can't explain exactly the why, but the uh, the style of riding that a police motor competition requires that tight, big heavy bike, clutch in that gray area, it all just seemed to gel for me. And when I say that, I mean that if you were to see me on a motocross track, you'd be like, yeah, that guy's pretty good. No. I go I go good. Have I ever been paid to ride a dirt bike? No. If you saw me on a track day on a street bike, yeah, that guy's pretty good. Is there a thousand and five guys that would wipe me up? Yeah. Absolutely there are. But I'd go to these motor competitions and I'd meet these guys and – you know, uh, this one of the guys in particular that I saw regularly, super good dude, super competitive, but he was like a national dirt track pro. Yeah. Like he got paid to race dirt track. Other guys that got paid to race like 250 GP road race bikes. Right. Other guys that were AMA pro. It was a career. It was, this yeah. was their career, and was... now they're cops, and they're getting into these police motor competitions. And for whatever reason, it all, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I was a, you know, I was a fast intermediate Okay, that means nothing. Yeah. Um, but I beat these guys um, regularly, over and over and over again, and it was and I and, and, and it was just <laughs> a, gonna love you. There was there was what? a it was it was a weird. I I couldn't quite put my finger on it. So so the funny part for me in it all is I you know I'd get these people want me to hold court about how to do stuff, and I'm like, well, there's five guys over there that all have way more experience and I would bow down to any one of those guys. I have no idea how I'm beating them. I'm perfect. I'm telling you perfectly honest. I know I'm, I'm a pretty good rider, but I know the it, tricycle the, or the, the, unicycle. the unicycle. Yeah, it could the, be the tricycle too. The unicycle, you know, tricycles are, you know, they, they can be useful. <laughs> I had a big wheel actually. It was a big wheel, big wheel. Yeah. when <clears throat> you were two years old. Uh, it's probably the unicycle. Yeah. Because it's all slow maneuvering, balance. You know, you counterbalance your weight, like which you do a lot. You shift your body weight. You know. I started learning how to do strange, different things. Like um, if you ever watch Supermoto or even road racing where they'll back the bike in on a turn and basically they'll slide it into a turn. I started learning how to do that on the police bike. Yeah. Um, and that, Whoa. you know, it was just kind of weird, but it, but it worked. Yeah. Um, never had a problem with it. And I would start trail braking. Um Definitely, but I learned interesting things with the clutch, this gray area thing. I learned that, um, like when the bike's leaned over and you're going slow, if you kind of pop the clutch a little, it's obviously going to pick, you know, you're putting power to the rear wheel, it'll pick the bike up. Yeah. Well, so if I'm going to do rapid transitions from the left to the right, back and forth, I found if I could, when the bike's all the way cocked over, if I just give it a little, little pop at that lowest point, I'm speeding up my transitions. Pop in the uh, the, the pop throttle the, or the, the clutch. clutch. When pop, pop that clutch. clutch out a little bit, and it's putting just just a little sort of a little jerk to the rear wheel to just sort of snap the bike up to center. Then I'd fall over the other way and snap it back up to center again, and, and kind right. of go back and forth. And so then I'm like, okay, well wait a minute. If I use my feet, 
I could maybe move it a little faster. So when I would snap it up, once it was center, I would force the other side. I would, I would basically get my butt off the seat and, and put all my weight on that peg to push the bike down the direction mm. I wanted it to go. So I was, now I'm doing these two things where I'm kind of like stomping with my feet, then snapping with the clutch, go the other side, stomp with my feet. Once it's past halfway, stomp with my feet and all my weight and then snap the clutch back the other way. Then I started learning, wait a minute, if I get it past center, I can do those things. But also if I tap the front brake, anyone knows if you're going slow and you're leaned over and you grab the front brake, the bike wants to hit the pavement. Right. But if you're careful with it and you just give it a little tickle, you're speeding up the process with which that bike wants to hit the ground. But if I catch it with the clutch, I can throw it back over the other way. So <clears throat> it's a weird, and just, this is just, I would, I would spend, uh, so I, you know, I mean, I rode every day as a motor, but then on a Saturday we would go down to our training facility and I'd set up cones and put up tennis balls on the cones and ride really tight patterns, but I would play around with the bike. And that's where I also learned like, I could, if I got the bike going about 15 miles an hour, hammer the brakes, almost ABS, and then go full lock and do a tight turn and just keep a little bit of brake pressure on the rear brake, the front wheel will be spinning faster than the rear and the bike will think you're losing traction and it automatically goes into ABS. Mm. And now it's kicking into ABS. Right. But if I stay there and I do like two circles, it automatically brake fails. And now when I ride the bike, it Wait, when you do, when you do two circles, it automatically brake fails. So sorry, no, it's a, it's yeah. a combination of things. So you, you get the bike going about 15 or 20 miles an hour, right. hammer the brakes mm. front, one, front and rear. Okay. Once you've hammered the brakes pretty hard, you meet, you have to go hard, hard, full lock, any direction you're comfortable. Yeah. And once you're going full lock, now the front brake and the rear brake are on the front wheels moving at a faster rate than the rear because you're doing a, a circle right, right from a full lock so it thinks that you're sliding mm. so now the abs kicks in right you keep your foot on the brake just lightly while it, you'll and you'll feel the abs kicking your foot off the brake right but you you keep it on there just so slightly but keep in a circle Got and it. then boom you'll see the brake fail light will come on and yeah. now i can just lock the brakes up yeah. And now I don't have ABS at all on the bike until I turn the key off and reset the computer. Right. So I learned that because one of the things with motor comps is you're doing a lot of tight, tight, tight stuff. And I was finding why, how come sometimes when I'm practicing, the ABS kicks on and blows me out of the pattern. It stands the bike up and now I can't stop. Yeah. So I figured out how to duplicate that error that it was doing and started and that's how I could start backing yeah, the bike in. Because once you have the ABS off, you can mani manipulate the bike more. Yeah. And that's what was happening a lot when Harley, I was at a Harley shop working there when they brought ABS and all the old timers and all the people that try to do stunts were like, I don't like ABS. You can't, you know, control it, pump it, slide your back rear. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But so I got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of pushback from people that say, well, okay, they'd see me slide the back end into a section. They'd say, well, obviously he's. <laughs> he's just screwed with his abs obviously <laughs> you know so i so sometimes some of these events man, face is like bro come on man it's like what are you doing you know so i would get uh, uh sometimes i yeah I'd, I'd show up at some of these and uh and i'd get like uh the whole motor unit from the host agency yeah and they'd be surrounding my truck and they want to inspect the bike They're like well you're cheating you're cheating at this event so um you know, that, that was one of those things. I just, I run into that. I started to run into that with my wife when I go into these events, but my goal was don't but, hurt. But was there a rule 
saying. So it was loose, but yeah. it became much more strict. Yeah. Um, and, the, and, and it was a couple of the rules were um, initially it has to be a police bike. So what I did when I first started is they break them up like, in classes. Like, like a white police issue. It has to be a police, a police model. Right. You know, but you, you can't modify it. It's like add. I can't bring a little supermoto bike and compete against your Harley. I'll right. smoke you. Yeah, That's not fair. So it's got to be this. It's got to be a police platform. Within those platforms, uh, at least in the Western U.S., uh, where BMWs are kind of prevalent, you'll have maybe one or two Harley classes, and then they'll have. If it's a smaller event, they'll just say metric, and right. metric will be if you have a Cowie or a Beamer or a Honda. Or if it's a bigger event, 100, 150 guys, they'll break that up to say Honda class, Beamer class, Kawasaki concourse class. If it's really big, earlier when I first started, they'd have a BMW 1150 class and then the 1200 RTP class. Mm, so, so when I started, some of the faster guys up north were on Hondas, these ST1300s. So, of course, you know, I'm telling my wife, I'm like, hey, let's buy a police ST1300 so I can I want to beat those guys I'm going to go up against those guys they, they, were, the, they were the faster guys <laughs> right and I had an 1150 my boss had a 1200 so with some of these I'd be hauling two three bikes to go compete and I'd be like alright I've signed up because you Honda. would need the different bike for each yeah. competition got it because they're they're a little different uh, you know one bike might be a little quicker but it's longer it, the wheelbases are different the saddlebags are bigger on another one so just to make it fair if there was enough bikes, you know, you competed against guys on your same platform. Yeah. But I wanted to compete as much as I could. So I was yeah. in the 1200 class, the 1150 Beamer class. I was in the Honda ST class. Fuck, you were, um, you were committed. Like you, you I left. was super into it. Yeah. You know, um, and then once I started doing that, uh, that first year, they stopped allowing you to have more than one platform. You had to only sign up. You could only, you had to pick. Yeah. Um, and so by then, you know, I, got a 1200 beamer and i sold my honda because i you know i did pretty good on it i like the st1300 by the way it's a great yeah. great platform um but um so you know my wife and i would love we'd go we'd go to these things um and obviously i was i was excited about it i was training like a beast i was riding all the time and i i just you know yeah winning was cool but there were some pretty cool people there some pretty good challenge and i and i just liked to go compete it was fun. So for me, it took the place of racing. And I'm sure your wife and the kids, it was like a whole experience. It's just my wife at the time. And, yeah. and, and she, you know, she liked it. We'd go to some town we'd never been and go out to dinner. And, and it was, it was just a fun, it was just a fun little get out of, you know, leave town for the weekend and go have a, go have a, an experience. Right. Winning was awesome. Don't get me wrong, but, um, it, you know, I, I have boxes of trophies I, who cares? I can go buy a box of trophies. Yeah. It's, you That's know, what I'm going to do after this podcast. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, it's all that it's, you know, and it also, especially that first year, it was that like, again, it's that, that rapid improvement. That's pretty exciting to see and feel, you know, yeah. um, versus being, you know, pretty good at something where you're just your progress. You just need to spend more and more and more time to even get a, incrementally better, you know? It's right. Like, so, <clears throat> um, so, I wasn't breaking the bikes. I was starting to kind of get some notoriety doing these things. And, you know, um, that helped get a little bit of a little bit more department support to go to these things. Then I became an instructor, which helped because we had our in-service trainings and I could uh, I was sort of in charge of uh, the curriculum, keeping track of who was who was getting trained and what who you know what your deficiencies were and this and that. Uh, and then that training role kind of helped 
justify going to more of these things. And I'd do about a dozen or so a year. <clears throat> but we would have little uh, police and fire safety days where, you know, we do demonstrations at the mall or something like that. And I'd yeah. come out and, you know, slide the bike around and do some stoppies and, you know, just, you know, wave to the kids kind of thing and talk about bikes, you know. I mean, that was a cool thing, too, is 99 out of 100 motor cops are motorcycle guys. So like they're riding motorcycles on the weekend yeah. or on their days off. Yeah. And if they didn't start that way, they've now been a motor cop enough to be like, hey, I'm proficient at this. I like it. But I love the community of motorcycle riders. <clears throat> and these guys are the same. And the funny thing I will just again, an aside is as a motor cop, you're still a police officer. But I'd interact with guys that are, you know, riding like idiots on their sport bikes or even Hell's Angels on their Harleys. Did I make traffic stops here and there on that? I'm, you know, sure. But they're always, for me, felt like we're all motorcycle guys, yeah. you know? So there's something kind of like cool. Like we're, we're still, yeah, we share yeah. that. Our jackets look different, but we are still a community, you know? You could still take a guy from any biker gang. Yes, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm not going to speak on are they doing illegal stuff. That's not my, my point is, though. You could take that guy, and we could have a conversation about that time he twisted the throttle for the first time and went, oh, my God. Yeah. And his eyes lit up and his head exploded. We have all that together. And there's something that's super, super cool about that. And the fact that I'm on a police bike doesn't take that away. It, it's in you. It has nothing to do with the platform that I'm on. Like, yeah. You could put me on a scooter and we're still motorcycle guys, you know. Yeah. We, some, me and some of my buddies bat battle with that <laughs> little, uh, the Groms. Yeah. <clears throat> you're, still, you're still a rider, you know. You're still a rider. You're still on two wheels. You're still risking your life. You're dealing with mm -hmm. the same traffic that we're dealing with. Not at the high speeds. I say this, I, I've said this on this podcast a million times, and, and, and I knew I was going to say it again because I wanted to get your opinion on it. And I don't care that I said it a million times because I think I have to say it a million more times. I believe 95 to 99% of motorcycle accidents is rider error. Would you agree with that or not on your experience? Uh, I, no, that's a, I think that's a complex question personally. Um, I think that motorcycle riding is much more complicated uh, what you can do and where you can go and the situations you can put yourself in compared to the true and honest, in my opinion, level of experience you need to manage all the eventual scenarios you may find yourself in. So to say operator error, I mean, you could argue that, um, you know, you take some guy with 30 years experience and he's been at every training class and he practices and trains, you could put that guy in a million different situations and he's going to be okay. Yeah. Cars cutting in front of him. Suddenly the road, there's a pothole and there's gravel and there's a, you know, there's a wild bull in the road. You take a good rider and he's going to be like, boop, 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 navigate right, right through. It's not even, it's not even going to be a conversation. He's, he's still going to be thinking about his grocery list. You take a new rider who passes what I would argue is one of the simplest, um, and, and not, and I don't mean that in a positive way, but a simple, test to put yourself on something that you could go 200 miles an hour on you're asking that's a recipe for disaster so that guy who's new even if he has you know his his intentions are good i don't feel like that the system has set him up for success i don't think you know what you don't know and suddenly 
oh, it's kind of raining a little bit. Oh, there's grease in the roadway. Oh, that's a little gravel. I don't think a new rider goes around a 50-mile-an-hour turn uh, like somebody, hey, who has a lot of racing or track experience or just a lot of experience on the road and immediately makes the adjustment to see and and automatically know, okay, the gravel's there. I'm going to stand the bike up a little bit to avoid losing traction. However, there's now there's grease in the road. Okay, well, so maybe I'm going to pull in a little tight and go on the inside of all that stuff. Those kinds of little quick math problems and your ability to immediately manage that that's something a new guy doesn't have. Yeah. You know, and so, so yeah, it's, it's writer error, but my, I guess my, my issue is it's like saying, uh, you know, you're picking a fight, a 10 year old against a 25 year old MMA fighter and say, would you say this 10 year old got his butt whipped because, you know, t- technique related? Well, it's like, well, yeah, but you know, well, yeah, no, I, and I, and I get, and that's a valid point. My, my only rebuttal to that would be is, uh, based on the statistics of most accidents that end in T-bones right. or, um, or on, on turns, you know, like yeah, when people yeah. are on turns, those are the two most popular, you know, accidents. Yeah. And when I see that, I'm like, well, okay, the T-bone one, again, I've been at the Harley shop and sure. I got a guy that comes in crutches and what happened to you? Well, I was going down Van Nuys Boulevard and this car turned in front of me and I hit him. And then you talk to the motor cop, you know, that were servicing their bikes. Hey, what happened to so-and-so? Well, he was going 60, 70 miles an hour on Van Nuys Boulevard. Right. And the car did not, you know, and, and those are the, I'm talking about the average, you know. Yeah, so so I would say that most people. And, and you're not a person I want to rebuttal. No, 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 we're good. We're good. We're <laughs> you good. won, bro. You won. <laughs> we're all Only good. Only after a few beers. Okay. I think uh, most people. Um, that find themselves in that situation, ride like they drive. And I just think you need to ride like you're naked and alone and no one sees you. Naked and um, afraid. Yeah, that's like, honestly, it, and I tell guys that are, you know, people that are new, um, pretend and, I, and like pretend every second you're on the bike that you're invisible. And if you do, you shouldn't, and don't get emotional when somebody tries to kill you because they don't know you're there. Yeah. And, is, and I used to get in arguments with people about this. They'd say, well, I had the right away. And I say, well, you want to die? You want, you know, you're right, you know, but when you're about to walk in a crosswalk and there's a 50 mile an hour school bus coming, you know, do you want to just stand there and say, you know what? I have the right of way. I'm going to keep walking. Or are you going to be prudent and maybe just let the bus go by, you know? And I think with people on motorcycles, they don't, you know, they, they feel like they have the same level of, you know, uh, this is my road as much as anybody else's and, and damn it, I'm on a motorcycle and, and I belong here. And yeah, all that's true. I can, I can tell you an aha moment for me. I was on a police bike. There was a vehicle pursuit. This guy was running got away from the cars and, um, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'll have no problem keeping up with any car on a city street. No problem. So boom, there he is. I put it out. Um, and the way the protocol works, and I think it was most agencies, but with us is you can initiate, uh, a, a pursuit as a motor, but because of the danger, the risk factor on a motorcycle being in a pursuit, basically the once, danger for yourself, for yourself, is, yeah. once somebody assuming all other things, you know, the, the conditions are good and no one, you know, you're not, you're not speeding at a hundred miles an hour toward, toward a school zone or something like that. Assuming everything else is, is, is generally safe, so to speak, as safe as it could be in a pursuit. 
um, you can stay in it until a car is in position to take over and then you back out, you know, because yeah. they get in an accident. That's one thing. You, you know, you're basically on a, on a you know, on a motorcycle or you're yeah. going to get. But I was following this this guy and um, at some point he realized, from what I can gather, oh, he's this, this I'm not going to lose this motorcycle. Suddenly he made a really, really quick U-turn and kept turning. And suddenly I have this raging bull coming at me. And yeah, I can. So he's facing. He's, he's coming facing at me. He's coming at, he's you coming at me. Wow. I and mean, now we're playing. Now it's like I'm suddenly in this game of chicken, and uh, I was able to navigate around and all that was fine. But the it was it was a weird thing, both as a as a police officer, but as a motorcycle rider. I don't know. I've never had somebody in their car try to take me down when I was on a motorcycle. I've had people turn into me and I've had people, you know, like basic road stuff, veering in your lane, other, you know, but yeah. this was some, this felt, wow, this is deliberate. This person's steering to come get me. And it was, it was that moment I realized like, wow, I'm, it's like, it's, it's obvious, but you know, you ride a bike enough and you're good on one. You feel like you're kind of invincible. Yeah. And suddenly I just felt naked and like just it was scary it was like i might as well have been on a bicycle and yeah. somebody wants to get me um and i you know that moment i carried that with me now when i when i started riding and uh you know kind of continued with that idea that man i am so vulnerable on this thing yeah, yeah you know i might be you yeah, know especially chasing cars and yeah, stuff exactly <laughs> so exactly right you don't think about it yeah so uh, if there is one thing I see with most people that get in accidents, I'd say is that they they get comfortable because bikes are amazing these days. And uh, you don't realize with, you know, a, a smile twist of the throttle, you went from 30 to 90 and you didn't even know it. Like you get on a modern street bike and you get on the freeway, that bike is it's it's bored out of its mind at 85 miles an hour. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You go through a canyon pretty fast and all all a good bike tells you is. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Yeah. Let's keep going. Oh, you have knee pucks and you know how to use those. Let's keep going. Yeah. Let's keep going. Um, so where does that take you? You right. know, um, <clears throat> so, but yeah, so rider error, but I, you know, I, I don't know all the, the, the particulars, but the stats and stuff, yeah. but, but in Japan, I mean, you might know more about this, but my understanding is a, a motorcycle license originates a from a CC's. So the bigger the CCs, the harder the testing is. Right. And the longer you have to have that license. You don't you can't just, you know, challenge the course and get a 1000 and do a lot of cool stuff. You have to get a, you know, a 125 and work up to a 200 or a 250 and then get up to a 500 maybe. Right. And there has to be intervals in between where you've demonstrated that you know how to handle that size maybe a year, two years. But one of the things <clears throat> that I thought was interesting was that they'll have a motorcycle test and you and that test is twofold one is sort of physical and one is um, their perception of your ability to manage what you're doing so okay you've got to whatever it is you got to go through these cones and turn around they watch you do it and they decide if it looks like you did it with enough calm cool smooth control and skill eh you know how to handle yourself yeah. not just ah he didn't hit any cones or hey he stayed in the circle here's your license sir no 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 they're looking at your you yeah they're looking at you and how how ready is this guy to to carry this license because i mean and i can tell you this as an instructor 
I've been involved in conversations where people end up not going through the program. And why it, it's a bummer because they're a friend of mine. I know they really wanted it. And who am I to tell you what you can and can't do? But I don't want to put you on a, into a situation and, you know, and bless you and say, okay, you're good. And now you go out and you get creamed by a car. Like, that's just, I don't want to, I don't, right. you know, I know you're, we, we don't want to wish. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want to be almost part of that. Yeah. That's like one of those things. Should I get a bike? I don't recommend it, but do what you got to do, you know? Yeah. So to, to, to me, the, uh, you know, the, yeah, it's, it's not so black and white, like you said. It's, yeah. it's more complex than, than what it actually is. It, and, I'll, and I'll tell you from, you know, I talk about blazing the canyons when I was 16 on my NIDOC. One thing that's so different than I, than I recalled was, and I tell guys that, that either don't ride or that haven't in a long time, is cell phones. Everybody looks like a drunk driver on the road. Yeah. You know, um, and we're, it's, what's weird, though, is we're used to it now. You see people kind of wandering around, straddling their lanes. I've said it many times. You start driving, and as you split lanes, you realize you, you get to, like, see inside cars, and you get to see people's rearview mirrors, and the mirrors are facing the sky. They're facing the ground. People are on their phone. People are eating. People are doing yeah. all kinds of stuff. I actually, uh, quickly, what do you think about this? Three, four years ago, if you asked me about self-driving cars, I would say, hell no. Hell no. Like, I, I don't trust the machine. Right now, this year, this last year, I'm realizing I, I think I trust a self-driving car more than most drivers because I see the emotional aspect that, you know, distracted aside, the mad side, the upset side, somebody lost a family member, somebody lost. Like, I just see right, right. all the shit people deal with, and I'm trusting this human. <laughs> I'm, I'm trusting a human to do this that has a machine that's three, four, five thousand 5,000 pounds that at any moment, you know, they can just slam into anything, which obviously it doesn't happen because we drive up and down the 101 and 405 with thousands of cars. But I, I don't disagree with you. Um, you know, I don't know what that technology really looks like, but I, I would say, A, we're definitely going there. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, if uh, you have these some of these people that have like two, three, four DUIs and they're still out on the road. I would probably trust uh, AI to get them home more than obviously they're not demonstrating that they're they really have a great plan. You know, they're 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 not doing great. So, yeah, I, I could totally see that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would like, you know, another question. I was in Dubai and Dubai has beautiful new roads because it's, you know, a new city. But they don't have much highway, patrol, you know, police officers or patrol. And, and basically what they do is they have a whole camera and sensor and infrared systems. If you speed, you, you, they mail you a ticket. And it's an expensive ticket. Just very simple. You speed, you get pulled over. Or you don't get pulled over. Ticket's in the mail. If you rent a car, they tell you, hey, if you speed. And in Italy was the same thing. Why hasn't the California, well, I'm not going to say the U.S. because we don't know what's going on with the U.S., but. Why hasn't California implemented a system well, like that? Wouldn't it save more money or? I mean, I can't speak to all the bureaucracy associated with that, but I I know that we, uh, in California, that would be considered a speed trap. But I believe in in Nevada, mm. they they do have that. Yeah. So it does exist. Um, I don't. It's not it's just speed trap. It's not just a blatant, um, you know, a little sign. Uh, there usually will be. I'm just going off of recollection. So those of you who are in other states and say, oh, wow, you got it exactly wrong. My apologies. But um, I'll see a highway patrol and a sign saying, hey, like you're entering, you know, you're that we implement this and we use this. And uh, yeah, and you you'll get a ticket. Absolutely. 
No. I mean, I, so it exists, but it's not just. Yeah. California still kind of gray on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, you have to you have to articulate that you saw the violation. It's an infraction, so right. I can't take anyone else's word for it. And arguably, and we have that challenge with the, with the uh, intersection cameras right now too. You know, it's like, well, is that is that evidence or is it hearsay that that thing took that image and on this date and time this thing happened? Because I didn't see it happen, but you know, does that hold up in court? So, you know, and that there's been on, ongoing court battles with stuff like that, um, but. I don't know. I don't know yeah, why. That, that's, that's random. It's, it's a little off the sideline, but just yeah. I was wondering to get your opinion on that. What's the craziest, um, well, that, that police chase you described, but what's another crazy police chase that was just, um, it, it, it was just <clears throat> so crazy you'll never forget it for whatever the turnout was, you know? I, I can't think of, uh, so, so just thinking and, about and, that concept. And, and, and I'm sorry, and to yeah. add to that, um, also the difficulties of riding a police motorcycle and the sirens and the lights and right, stopping right. like what was the most well let me uh let me walk into that a little bit um first of all the the one thing that i you know when i when i talk to people about wow what's it like being a motor cop and, and this and that and i think the one thing a lot of people don't appreciate is uh first of all i'm a i'm a police officer so what does that mean? Obviously, yeah, you write tickets. I get it. You're a cop. Well, what it means is um, I'm there to protect and serve. I'm there to back up an officer uh, in an emergency. Uh, a, a hot call comes out because, uh, you know, we talk about that radio ear. As a motor, you have a radio ear and you're listening. You know kind of what's going on. The other thing that you learn really fast when you're a motor, especially in a city like us, is there is no one in the law enforcement community that can get from one point of the city to another faster than a motor cop. Yeah. I know every nook and cranny of the city, and I'm a motorized bicycle, essentially. I've, I've gone upstairs, downstairs, train tracks, hills, fields. Like, I can get anywhere. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're a beach town. We have little farms. We have hills. We have trains. We, have, we can't have everything. And um, so you get a call of, like, a, an, a, an infant not breathing or you get a call of someone's in a foot pursuit, or we have a pier because we're at the beach. Um, I had a call. Uh, I heard a call go out of a of a guy that was drowning from the pier. Uh, well, I I can get there fast. So that's one thing that you realize as a motor officer is your ability to impact kind of wild, exigent, unfolding situations is you know. It's not only valuable, but it shows itself pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I can just tell you one one of the times on the pier, I uh, I got to the pier before any uh, cars did. But also at our at our uh, our pier, you can't just drive like say Santa Barbara. You could take a car down the pier. I think you have to move a few pillars and then you can take a car. But I can hop on the pier and just jet down it on the police bike. So I got down there. Everyone's pointing, you know, and boom, I'm, I'm over the side going down some railing, pulling some guy out of the water and all my police gear. Sure. Um, and it was so it wasn't it wasn't crazy in the sense that, like, I was in a chase, um, but it was bullets were being fired back. There was an explosion, a helicopter. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, uh, but no. Yeah, of course. But but things you realize. Um, so the utility, the utility of it. But that that leads me to one of the biggest things. So um, a buddy of mine uh, who owns Total Control, Lee Parks, um, racer, he owns the California safety program for the state, uh, the Total Control program. And um, 
we've, you know, one of the things he's always razzed me about was, yeah, look at you guys in your t-shirts. Like, good, good job. Like, nice role model. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's being a, he's just giving he's me teasing, crap. Yeah. yeah, totally. Super good dude. But, um, and, <clears throat> and I have to explain, okay, so, and this is just a little funny thing I do with people. I said, okay, so you know that the term at gat, all the gear, all the time. Right. Right. At gat. And, um, guys I talk to, Hey dude, all the dress for the crash. And Hey, I agree. Dress for the crash. I'm with you. And if you saw me on a Saturday, I'm in a full suit with a back protector, chest protector, you know, all, all that stuff. Um, but then I say, okay, so here's what I want you to do. You're going to go motorcycle riding dress for the ride. You can buy what you can wear, whatever you want. I'll, I'll outfit you however you want and say, okay, okay. So what does that look like? I've got a one, maybe it's a full suit or no, two piece, a jacket. I've got this, I've got that. And Hey, if it gets cold, I'm going to wear this, I'm going to wear that. Okay, good, good, good. You ready for your ride? Okay, cool. Now what I want you to do is I want you to ride over to the parking lot there and you're going to get off your bike and now you're going to get into a foot chase. You're going to run, you're going to do a quarter mile foot chase. Okay. Are you ready? And before that race, now let me ask you, do you want to change any of what you have on? You have to keep your helmet on. Is that the helmet you want to wear? Is that the jacket you want to wear? Are those the boots you want to wear? Uh, hmm, let me think about that. Okay, well, I guess it, it is 85 out. I guess I'll take the jacket off and uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll put, okay, you know what? I'll put, I'll put different boots on. I'll put like something I can kind of run in better. Okay, cool. No, that's great. That's great. <laughs> All right, so then, then you run your quarter miles. All right, good. Yeah. So now what I want you to do, I want you to imagine now um, you're, you're about to get into a street fight with two guys. They're going to they're gonna fight you. Um, <clears throat> they're going to maybe grab your helmet and start trying to torque your head. They're going to try to get your gun from you and shoot and kill you. Um, it's a morbid conversation. I get it. But now if you know you're going to get into a fight... What do you want to have with you? What do you want to be wearing? And so on and so on. You're going to climb a wall. Uh, you're going to get, on, get into a gunfight. Um, you're going to deliver a baby. You're going to wear this. Here's the other, the other caveat to this is you're going to have to have this on all day. You don't get to take it off. You're wearing it all day. Okay? So what people don't realize is, <clears throat> that's when I say I'm a cop first, Yes, I'm on a motorcycle, but I have to be ready to get into a gunfight. I can, you know, and like I already ex sort of explained the, the utility of a motor, um, I've, you know, um, subject um, seen with a weapon, broke into a house, you know, a, a burglary in progress. Guess who's the first one there? I am. Yeah. And I've gone in and boom, I'm gunning down some guy. I'm pointing my gun at somebody and there's two people in a house and he's got, you know, he's carrying a TV and uh-oh, this isn't good, but... I don't want to be in a full suit, you know? Um, so there are, there are weird things like that, that, um, and yeah, we have vests on. So I, my, my pushback on my outfit is, uh, you know, if I, if I'm sliding at 90, my chest and my back are pretty much protected with the bulletproof vest, but you have to remember that we have so many roles that we play. Traffic is, you know, it's one component to it, but, um, you learn really fast when you start realizing, hey, I can really affect this bad situation. I can go save this person from drowning. I can go execute some CPR before anybody else gets here. I can stop that person from breaking into that house or stealing that or hurting this person or, you know, and those types of things start to, I don't want to say they dictate what we wear, but, you know, 
because sometimes, especially at night, we do a DUI checkpoint or whatever, and it's really cold out, and we're just there. Uh, you know, we, we might dress a little warmer for, for the weather, but um, by and large, I have to be ready. For anything. For anything, and that's... And legit anything. Absolutely, and so... And stuff people never even think about. Yeah, you don't... Delivering a baby. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? Yeah. No, I, I was just trying to go on a motorcycle ride, man, get a cup of coffee, maybe gas up, hit a canyon. No, 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 no. You have to deliver a child. Crap. Okay. Coffee's going to have to wait on that. Um, Damn it. So that leads me to just kind of like, as, as far as motorcycles go, you know, um, you go to these, you know, you go to motor school and all that, you learn how to ride a police bike and, and, you, and you're good. But what's really um, different too, mindset wise, when I must, if you and I just went on a, on a Saturday ride and I took my personal bike, my concern is the bubble that I'm in immediately. My head and eyes are, I, <clears throat> you know, for right or wrong, my uh, philosophy when I ride, at least on the freeway, I like to ride a little bit quicker than traffic. Um, if I, and I don't, I'm not talking about splitting lanes, but like if traffic's doing 70, I'm probably doing 73. And my reasoning behind that is I like to just have to worry about what's in front of me. It's just, yeah. it's less math for my brain. I, I do the same thing. Yeah, I was so. going to ask you too. I really do. I don't like cars hovering around me or being behind yeah. me. I, when I'm starting to get past and, and kind of, I feel like I'm getting boxed in and yeah. people aren't paying attention. It just makes me uncomfortable. Um, so, but, but when I, but that's really the only thing kind of on my mind Yeah. Uh, when I'm a motor officer, I'm listening to the, so I'm riding, I'm working on, you know, what gear am I on my clutch and braking and, and the, you know, what's on the road, not crashing, not getting hit or killed by anybody who's not paying attention also. And now what's going on in the city? I got to listen to my radio. Um, now, okay, well, you're there to, you know, look for traffic issues. Okay. So I'm looking for traffic problems. So now I'm no longer just concerned about the bubble around me. I'm actually riding around at speed with my head on a swivel looking around. So that's kind of sketchy, you know? I mean, things happen in a split second. So yeah, I better be, that's insane. you gotta be paying, paying attention, right? So now I'm listening to the radio, I'm looking for violations, I'm trying not to get hit or killed, paying attention to just kind of what I'm doing from a, you know, just, just a writing standpoint. Okay, I see a violation. Now I have to figure out how am I gonna get that person pulled over? And I mean that from the standpoint of I'm going to have to either jam through traffic, you know, go up and around a curb, go on the other side of the street, whatever it might be. Um, I got to do that safely. Now I got to communicate to that person that I'm pulling them over. So I got to start pushing buttons, sirens, lights. I have to communicate to dispatch. Hey, here's here's who I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's here's where I am. Now, while all that's going on. I got it, you know, I, and, you know, motors will, will tell you, depending on where they're pulling you over, the, my first thought is um, cover and concealment. Because if you don't plan for it, shame on you. If you don't think that somebody's going to pull out in front of you and try to hit you, shame on you for letting it happen. Like that needs to, that, that possibility needs to be in your brain, right? Well, the same thing happens. When I make a traffic stop, I better be thinking gunfight. Not because, and that doesn't mean I'm going to run up there and scream and have my gun drawn. But what it means is I don't have time for a split-second uh, decision-making process in an ambush. I'm right. already behind the eight ball. I'm already in a bad position. Right. 
So as and if there's somebody else in the car, or you can't multiple see people in the car, yeah. Or and you know, and sometimes you get weird things like somebody will not initially pull over; they'll make a left, they'll make a right, and then they'll pull in front of like uh, some place. Maybe they're on their phone. So the first thing in my mind, they're, gonna they're, meet they're calling their friends yeah. to pull up. Okay, we're gonna meet. We're gonna be right here, and we're gonna ambush this dude. And that's in my head. And here's the thing: it sounds crazy, but it. It happens. It's ha- it happens. It happens. Sure it it's happens happened all the time. I've watched video of it. I've, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So that's in your brain. So when I'm coming to a traffic stop, I'm going, okay, where do I want to hit my lights and sirens? Because I know, okay, there's some trees up here. There's a building here. There's a car there. <clears throat> so those are all the things kind of going on in my mind. And then as soon as they stop, as soon as my bike stops, it's just as fast as you can do it without looking like a psychopath. Get your kickstand down, get off your bike, and assess. Just like stop for a second, just like really, really fast, and then just hit the pause button as best you can and look and watch and wait. Which side do I approach? Okay, if they're both going to start shooting at me, where do I go? And who do I who and do I address do I, first? How who, do I cover myself? Or All that. Am I going to use the bike? Is there some other place I happen to have? But those kinds of things, if they're going to run, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? If those two, the passenger, the back seat, two people run, am I going to stay with the driver? Am I going after the passengers? What am I going to do? What am I going to say? Where am Jeez. I? How am I going to put that traffic out so that responding officers know what's going on and what to do about it to help me? Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> all the while you're, you're also thinking, okay, that I park far enough off the road so I don't get clipped by a car because lots of times that happens. Motor officers get knocked, their bikes get hit, or they get clipped and they get you know knocked off the road. So you're thinking about those things. Also, uh, you know, and you are thinking about you know, did my kickstand go down on something solid? Um, you know, is it <laughs> off camber? Because there's not a motor alive who didn't put their bike down and it fell over. Yeah, it's just there's, there's not you know doesn't exist. And and I'd like to meet him because. You know, he's magical. Yeah. Um, or it's so his first day. It's his, uh, nah, He did it on his first day. Yeah. I know. I know it. So those are the things, just to give you kind of an idea. That people don't realize what, what moto officers, let alone officers, deal with yeah. every day, every hour, at least. How, how many times does a, does a police officer pull over somebody? Well, a motor... Generally, um, I mean, I'd say as a general, you're going to get 10, maybe 10 citations a day. You might make 15 stops, 20 stops. Um, it really depends. Um, if it's if it's a specific, like you're working, that we have grants that are just, hey, we're going to give you overtime just to go look for seatbelt violations. So if you're working on a grant, you might be a little more active hammering and active on those things uh, you know because you're like doing tinted this. windows or whatever seat belts yeah uh, but so yeah say 20 stops you know a day so 20 times a day this is all the emotions some most of the emotions if not all the emotions that a police officer deals with yeah and and obviously once you do it and you get good at it and being good at it means that you're not completely you know you're, you're strategic and you're efficient at thinking through those processes because you don't, you know, you can't be freaked out about it. You know, you got to be ready to shoot. You got to be ready to move. You got to be ready to communicate. If you're not ready to do those things, um, you know, then the mental stress as you're building up that ability, it's exhausting. When you first start on motors and you go home every day, beside the fact that the whole environment you lived in is on you. Like, 
your arms are dirty, your face is black. There's no amount you're putting sunblock on all day, but it's just you just shower and it, you just look like you've been in a coal mine. It's it's brutal, but your mind is just like just exploding with you're just exhausted because of all the all the math <laughs> what you've am had I to doing? do. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, if you've ever done like a like a track day or or something where you're learning things that are a little new and you come back and you're just super exhausted, you're like, I don't get it, man. I I didn't ride that much. Well, you're, you're just trying to process that new bit of information. And that's the thing with, with those types of scenarios is you, you, it takes less mental math to be really good and efficient at figuring those things out. So over time, it's not like you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're losing your brain, but it is a lot of work and it's definitely a different mindset than a civilian just riding his motorcycle. One hundred, yeah, because yeah. a, a civilian's just looking in front of him, and that's it. Yeah, you're trying not to get hit, and you know, that's uh, insane. That's insane. That's that's an amazing uh, scope to look at things that you guys go through. What's uh, what's one thing that you see that you're just like from knuckleheads, or or that you just see that police officers just get so annoyed that you would like give us a message like, hey guys. Like we see this all the time, just stop doing this or take care of this or avoid doing that. Like what's something you just see that's just so ridiculous and it's an easy fix, but, but, uh, as it pertains to motorcycles, I'm guessing anything, motorcycles, uh, anything, cars, whatever the case is, just, you know, well, uh, put your plates on, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, the funny, the funny thing is the. The longer I've been doing this job as a police officer, the more um, I would forgiving is maybe the wrong word, but <clears throat> the more relaxed I like. I'll give you an example: Is ninety miles an hour fast on the freeway? Is that worthy of a speeding ticket? Technically, sure. Yeah, sure. Right. But if you and I went and we watched speeders, but here's what starts to happen. You first start writing tickets, and I'm not a freeway guy, but there's areas in our city, and I'll work, I'll work speed on a freeway. So I'll say, okay, that guy's going 75. I'll pull him over. After I've done the job as a motor for a month, uh, that guy's doing 75. Nah, nah, there's bigger fish here. Yeah. I'll see a guy going 85. I'll, I'll nab him. After six months, a year, I'm waiting for that guy that's going to do 100 by here because he's a real problem. And, you know, after a while... so. After a while, you just you start seeing so many things that are wrong that your threshold for what is wrong gets gets tall higher. You know, your your tolerance for the kind of the things that maybe originally was shocking and unusual and hey, that's wrong. That guy's got tinted windows. Everybody has tinted windows. No, no. technically not everybody, but you could write tinted window tickets ad nauseum. And uh, so you start saying, Okay, well, I have a certain amount of time, I have a certain amount of focus. What's important for me to do? You know, there's this, this thing, the spirit of the law, the letter of the law. Letter of the law, 66 miles an hour over the speed limit, it's citable. The spirit of the law is some guy's doing 105 on his phone. We need to get that guy. And if you've had enough people going 67 and you realize, geez, you know, maybe, maybe I can cut some of those guys a break and we can find something more, more significant. That's what I see personally. That was my experience, and that's what I see with cops in general, is that when you've become a cop long enough, you see things that are so amazing and out of the norm that what seemed out of the norm before isn't so, oh, my God, 
this is crazy. Knock that off. You're like, ah, dude, could you please come yeah. on? Let's just, let's all get along. Let's all move on. So I think in that way, for me anyways, I become a lot more tolerant uh, and better at talking to people. Um, people say, what does it mean? Like, what do you need to be a cop? Like, and you think, you know, like I talked about the old FBI guys, you know, six foot two or taller. Um, you need to have the ability, you need to be a salesman. You need to be able to, the badge means nothing. My ability to help you understand why it makes sense that you do something that I'm asking you to do, that's, that's the win. I don't want to fight you. I don't want you to hurt me or kill me or hate me. Um, I don't want any, none of that helps me today or tomorrow. I, because today maybe you're a guy I'm pulling over or you're a guy I'm dealing with cause you're, you're drunk and you're angry. Your girlfriend broke up with you, whatever tomorrow you might be the witness to a major incident that happened. And now you and I have some type of bridge built between us. That's what I've learned with this job is that some guy runs from me. He's not going to Canada. Yeah. He's going around the corner. He's throwing his bike in the garage and I'll see him Wednesday. Right. You know, we're, it's, it's, and things that are uh, maybe initially when you start this, that's a big deal. That's a problem. Over time, you're like, it's, it's not, not such a big deal. It doesn't mean that we don't write tickets. It doesn't mean that people don't get arrested. Um, but I think that uh, by and large, we're more tolerant of, you know, general, the general public about doing kind of wacky things. I mean, at the end of the day, you, you don't pay me to uh, go around and, note all the things that are going right with everybody right i don't know those people on my day i only get the people that are having a bad day that are pissed off that are causing a problem those are the ones i interact with and i think how can i um how can i not get killed not get beat up um and and like actually it it sounds crazy the community and it's i know that it sounds maybe like a canned answer but it's it's challenging and it's kind of interesting to figure out, okay, I have a problem. How, how, can I, how can I come at this in an unusual, maybe different way to impact it so that everybody wins? Um, and, I mean, I think all of us could think back. And, and I'll just use the motor officer example. But, you know, I grew up, again, in the San Fernando Valley. <clears throat> LEPD were the motor cops. And I can remember having some, doing some stupid, illegal things, whether it would be a dirt bike on the street or speeding in my car. And having some really cool, um, supportive um, officers to kind of help me understand the why. Some gave me tickets. Some gave me breaks. Um, That wasn't the takeaway. It was mostly just like that that idea that they connected with me and helped me, kind of brought me into that that bubble of understanding about kind of what's going on and why, why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing. That's the exciting part to me about this job. Um, one of the things in my interview with Motors, as I said, <clears throat> one, of the, one of the things that's exciting to see as a cop is when you talk to somebody and you can see it happen. It doesn't always happen, but you'll see somebody have this look about them when they look at you, almost like they really were positive you were going to be another way. And they are pleasantly surprised you're some other way. They're puzzled. Like, what? You know, what? This is not how I expected this to go. Yeah. I thought you were going to be this way. I, I've experienced that. And I think as a motor cop, 
um, you know, granted reputation is motor cops are the most <clears throat> salty, evil, scary, you know, the cops are scared <laughs> of motor cops, you know? Right. But, uh, as a motor cop, I said, uh, there is no other position in this department where I, where I will have as much interaction with the general public, not necessarily, you know, people that are, you know, have high recidivism rates and are problems, but these are like, you know, soccer moms and your attorney and your construction guy. They're going, I, every time I stop you, every time I interact with you, I have an opportunity to change that opinion and get that aha moment where they go, wow, okay, I, I get what I did. This guy's a guy. This guy's, you know, doing a job. He understands my situation. Maybe I give him a warning. Maybe I don't. <clears throat> but I've had so much fun with that opportunity. Rather than looking at it like I have an authority that you don't possess that allows me some sort of bionic power. Right. Because the truth is, you don't. You don't have that. I used to joke when I would get non-compliance with somebody. Be like, hey, buddy, like you got to go. F you, blah, blah, blah. And I'd look at my partner and I'd smack my badge like it was broken, like the batteries weren't working. Yeah, and I'd be like, hilarious. What, what the hell's going on? This thing is not working. <laughs> you know, and you learn really quick. Uh, all the badge means is that you can be screamed at and spit at and fist fought, you know. Um, so <clears throat> so that's the long-winded uh, answer to, I don't think there's any one thing that any one, you know, that any people do that they need to stop doing. Right. You know, we need to figure out the opportunity to communicate a little bit better. And that's that's the opportunity here for me as a cop anyways. Motor gave motors gave me that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's cool in that way. It's very cool. And, and this is why I wanted to have you on the podcast, <clears throat> because I wanted people to hear you communicate stuff that you guys deal with. You know, it's it's not. It's not that you guys have this mission to make everybody's life miserable or give them a $500 ticket that they can't afford. It's just really you're trying to protect and serve, and there's rules, and certain rules and guidelines should be followed. And I want to thank you for allowing me to come here and uh, to Absolutely. sit down. And I think I think we have to do this again because yeah. as we're talking, I have so many questions. And I'm like, dude, we're so yeah, we're we're, we're pretty deep in this uh, this episode, but there's so many more questions. So I, I definitely think that there's going to be a round two. Absolutely. Uh, I want to leave you with one thing that. Uh, that I always thought was funny, and as a, as you know, motorcycle guys, at least street guys, you'll appreciate. <clears throat> I'm going to give you a uh, I'm going to give you a, a question, and uh, think about your answer. Question is this: What does a green light mean? Solid green light. What does that green light mean? Now, somebody asked me this. It was a, it was a salty old motor at a at a motor training. He said, yeah. "What does a green light mean, Redeker?" Green uh, means go. Green means go. And I said, yeah. well, you know, as a, as, a, as a motor officer, very knowledgeable and wise, it means that I have the right of way, sir. Is it a stale green light? It's been green for a while? Yep. Yep, it has. Oh, yeah, I have the right of way. He goes, now you're wrong. <laughs> okay, what does a green light mean, pal? And he goes, it means the light bulb works. <laughs> I went, oh, my God, he's right. That's all that means. <laughs> and so here's what I want you guys to try to do. <clears throat> First of all, Always, and this has saved my, I'm going to guess at least my lower half, if not my whole body, twice. When the light's green, no matter what, I still clear intersections all the time. And two times, I could see a car going 50, 60, blast through a solid red. They're on their phone. And if I wouldn't have stopped, I would have got hit and probably killed or at least definitely injured. 
And then the second thing is, if you're going through an intersection, if there's a big truck or even just like an SUV or another car, um, use that vehicle yeah. to shield you mm-hmm. from the oncoming traffic. So uh, let's say like you don't need to time a light just right and there's cars that have been waiting and boom, you're starting to go, say the, the number two lane, the lane on the right, and there's cars just starting to click, get into the intersection on your left-hand side. Rather than pass them through the intersection, slow down and pace them and ride right next to them and until you clear the intersection. Use them as a shield. Use them as a shield so exactly. if somebody took a red light, you have a shield. Exactly. I, and I, I, I caught myself doing that naturally, but that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, and just pretend you're invisible. And don't get mad. Just remember this, too. If somebody does something, they almost hit you, they cut you off, and they're mad at you. I'm sorry, you're mad at them? That means you weren't preparing for it, you weren't planned for it. So just accept the fact that that means you could do a better job at predicting what the heck's going on around you. Don't get angry. Just don't get hurt. And continue to learn and improve your ability to predict. I mean, we have to be psychic, so let's be psychics. All right? (laughs) Thank you, Quinn. Thank you. Appreciate it. And there you have it, an amazing episode. I thought this was a great success. Shout out to the Ventura Police Department for, uh, for you know, cooperating and, and, you know, giving me this opportunity. Uh, shout out to Community Outreach Specialist Emily Graves for communicating and, and, you know, setting it up. And big shout out to my boy, Officer Redeker Quinn, Quinn Redeker, for, for you know, just sitting down and, and sharing his story. As you could see, this job's not easy. This is just uh, the tip of the iceberg of what we, um, what these police officers deal with. And uh, a shout out to all police officers in general, to all the cool ones, the nice ones, the good ones, which is most of them. You know, shout out to you guys. Uh, appreciate your services. We all do, regardless. We just don't like getting tickets and, you know, paying big fines. But outside of that, everything else is cool. Until then, ride safe, ride hard, ride boundless.